Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, fellow residents of the late 20th century who definitely know what is real? It is year <laughs> and date, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, I'm joined by Gita Jackson. Hello, I'm Gita. Patrick Klepek. Hi. And our producer, Ricardo Contreras. Was that Patrick questioning if his hello was real? There's a little electronic <laughs> interference on it, which makes me think that the agents might already be uh, converging on his location. Uh, you know, when you get up for the third time to hold your kid's hair back as they vomit, you start questioning everything. What's real? <laughs> what's, am I here? Oh, no. Am I sleeping? Am I awake? Did you know, I in the hear? original version of The Matrix, that shit didn't happen. But, <laughs> like... Yeah, program uh, that out. What? Why does my kid have to probably have strep throat? Pretty sure that's toddlerhood. Just like the original version of Sims Four, you don't need it. No, <laughs> that life sick. stage is useless. Let's introduce some friction that doesn't involve bodily fluids coming out of our mouths. <laughs> the good ones can stay. Uh, so today we are talking about 2003's The Animatrix, which is a collection of animated shorts from different studios and creators, different styles uh, that give us other stories and perspectives from around the Matrix series setting. Uh, this is part of our sort of Matrix revisit uh, that we've been doing over on Waypoint Plus. But for the Animatrix, we figure we do it over here on the main feed, uh, especially because like this is kind of unfamiliar territory, or at least it's been ages since I watched it. I'm not sure how how well we all remembered every part of the Animatrix, but it feels like uh, this is some of the most surprising stuff uh, I've come across during our during our revisit. And I guess you know, Gita, you and I were discussing before the show. What's the best way to open? Do we open? On the way I remember this starting with the DVD where I was like, ooh, CG graphics and immediately went to Final Flight of the Osiris. Or we can start on the second Renaissance, which is very different, both in style and goals. Uh, and yet Final Flight of the Osiris does dovetail right into the Matrix Reloaded. So you don't get a I choice on the on HBO Max. HBO Max is yeah. just yeah. we have one a thing. You just hit press play. the trauma button and it goes. Like, no, that's there's no chapters. What it's just <laughs> and and there is like a like a I mean I guess there is like a connective tissue sort of like enough to get you between the type title cards, but it definitely has like a very specific order it wants you to to watch them in. But I go ahead, Gita. I was watching, I bought this from uh, like Google Play to watch on a flight like maybe like five to seven years ago. So I don't know what order y'all watch the the shorts in, but I watched it and it was really just like 
you open up and it starts on Second Renaissance parts one and two, mm-hmm. and you really just feel like you're descending into a deep, dark pit through which you will never escape. <laughs> like, <laughs> like immediately, <laughs> and it's oh, really okay. rough. Yeah. So hold on. So the according to Wikipedia, the cinema running order of the Animatrix parentheses at least in australia so like thanks to the australian thanks to the australian person putting in the caveat in the wiki feels like this is something we could have massaged at this point Uh, Um, so we just have to know this is the reverse order for where it was uh, right spins the the other way yeah uh Uh, different from the dvd release placing uh the final fight of the osiris last instead of first um so i think that's what i remember from watching it on like a VHS or something. Cause I know I didn't see it in theaters. I know, I know that my parents were like too much matrix this for my child. Ran to let in, me theaters? See that in theaters. Yeah, it ran in very, theaters. It was yeah. broadcast on adult swim with some of the content. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Modified. Uh, yeah. Like they would the, have to. <laughs> specifically the, the base, I guess the base of the second Renaissance part one and yeah. two. Like that's where <laughs> probably watching that robot woman get the shit beat out of her was probably Jesus not fully right. the inside of a human being so oh, much in that one dude <laughs> i remember that part being like hitting when i was like younger <laughs> yeah. but like it hit way way differently now <laughs> oh yeah we have um, to talk about that for sure so i think that i think i think that might be broadly the the change it's just like where, the, where flight of the osiris was was placed and maybe that had to do yeah. with how they were like teeing you up to be excited for uh, theatrical run makes sense to put that first because it contains plot critical information. Oh my, hold on. Other point point from this Wikipedia. Four of the films were released on the series official website. One, Final Flight of the Osiris was shown in cinemas with the film Dreamcatcher. Oh (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) You pooped to death! (laughs) Oh no! I think there's a good chance I saw... That is Dreamcatcher good? That's I the one. Oh my god! No, no. <laughs> It's the one it is- with the uh, mentally handicapped Red Sox fan, which is grossly, grossly, grossly ableist. Who is also an alien? Um, yes. Uh, it is. It is. It is one of uh, King's worst books. And then doesn't he say he really doesn't remember writing it at all? Because that's you could uh, throw a dart at the wall. Um, that's a, <laughs> that's a lot of King's uh, <laughs> stuff from a certain era. But it, but 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 he wrote really good books while he didn't remember them. Um, yeah. Dreamcatcher is is not one of them if it falls in that bucket. <laughs> not one of and them. then yeah. famously <laughs> has go read like the I mean the cast list for Dreamcatcher is uh, it stars Morgan Freeman, Thomas yeah. Jane, Jason Lee, Damian Lewis, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg, um, uh, Tom Sizemore, like it's, uh, you know, uh, produced by Lawrence Kasdan, you know, famously, uh, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, like, uh, that directed by, wow, did not realize that directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Oh my. Um, mm-hmm. and that movie is, I dare you to sit through it. It is yeah. extraordinarily wow. long. It is like Patrick. two and a half hours. It is so bad. And you know me. Not I got a yeah. high tolerance. And <laughs> I, I rewatched this one recently, like last year as part of like listening to the King cast. Uh, yeah. Also listen to King, uh, just King's things. Uh, and I was like, oh, I want to watch this before I listen to their episode about it. And um, boy, that took me like three, not, three, three attempts. Not even the girlies. The teenage girlies in my high school that mostly put on horror movies to hook up wanted to sit through Dreamcatcher, Patrick Klepek. It's I, too long. You're done hooking up. You're yeah, getting ready for round two. Like, Dream, <laughs> Dreamcatcher's still on? Mom! Um, 
we're done here, mom. You can come downstairs. Yeah. We're teenagers. It doesn't last that long. God, it's it's truly. So I feel like not to derail this too much, but I'll give no, it a little continue. quick. No, continue. Yeah. Uh, the difference between cocaine and opioid addiction is Cujo versus Dreamcatcher. Yeah, there you go. You Pretty know much. what? Yeah. One's a tight little book. That is just about an evil dog. And one is about everything that you could possibly think of and none of it makes sense. <laughs> that that movie, I, I did rewatch that one as well. And that movie yeah. holds up, even yeah. though frequently you're like, that's a man in a dog suit. That's a man in a dog suit. It's a man in a dog suit. Uh, yeah. They're not uh, as fun as the, the Buffy werewolves, though, which are really just like a guy crawling. <laughs> it's really it's, sad. But it's it's like shot really well to hide the, the guy in the dog suit. So like the, the times you see it is almost kind of humorous but the, the movie actually remains Jaw, jaws in a car is like a it, it works pretty well Hell anyway yeah. I, rob anyway. I, um hmm the matrix <laughs> so where you want to start well i guess we've already started it but the you way wanna, I put you this seem like you really show, want to start with last last flight of the osiris i feel like that's i, I feel like i would like to get it out i've been way. holding all, right. all weekend yeah. to talk about Second Renaissance, once more. I mean, I, how do I get that, you know, it's, it's difficult to get that ass out of the frame um, in Jesus Last Christ. Flight of the Osiris. What? <laughs> okay, I have so a little bit of production history on Last Flight of the Osiris, just a teeny tiny bit. So I've mentioned on the bonus pods for Waypoint Plus that this Last Final Flight of the Osiris was uh, directed and used the technology that Square had developed for their Final Fantasy movie. Um, and... Spirits Within, please. The Spirits Within, the Final Fantasy, the Spirits Within Mm. with their digital actor, Dr. Aki Ross. And the guy that looks that they designed that also just looks exactly like Ben Affleck, except they have him voiced by Alex Baldwin. It's very, very, very funny to me. I forgot that. I forgot that. Square put so much money into the studio and the technology. They started a new studio in Hawaii. They hundred they hired hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of dollars put into there. They really did think that this movie thing was going to pull off. And for many reasons, you know, this prescient sort of forethought into sort of we make video games and CGI is becoming a huge part of the movie industry. Why not develop our own? The Final Fantasy of the Spirits Within was such a big flop that the technology they developed, spent all that time developing and spent all that money developing was only used one more time and it was for this. And it almost <laughs> bankrupt Square. Like, yeah, like that entire endeavor they, almost took the entire company down. I think it was the merger with Enix and releasing Final Fantasy XI that got them back in the red. I mean, out of the red. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> I did my best. I saw it in theaters. I also <laughs> saw it in theaters and I rented it on DVD from Hollywood Video like a million times. <laughs> I was like, I think I like this. <laughs> I no, support video just, games being movies. You Man. just like mm-hmm. Final I, Fantasy. You have just, okay, well, well, next planning meeting, let's look at the calendar. When can we line up some sort of crude tie-in? <laughs> to Endwalker would have been a great choice, but don't yeah. worry. They'll, they'll put out some more Final Fantasy MMO content, and we can rewatch they absolutely the, the will. Spirits Within. That I sounds might. like a, I would be happy to do that. <laughs> It's it's really honestly remarkable how it this this financial success of Final Fantasy Eleven must have done a lot to offset the financial hardship they were put into because of the fucking spirits within. It's really sad. But what's most interesting about the fight of the Final Fight of the Cyrus in light of that is that although the way that it is directed does give me video game cutscene in a lot of ways, it's like a recent video game cutscene. You know, you think about when the Animatrix actually came out. This probably was actually mind blowing to look at. And the fact that it still like mostly looks good 
that shows you like we could have had it all. It was you know, so it's it really all. interesting. It's like they really nailed a lot of the textures and lighting and stuff in this, but the 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 body structures were still weren't the there. rigging. Yeah, the yeah. rigging was yeah, like yeah. weird. Like their bodies well, don't quite look like them, they have skeletons all the time. I remember them saying they spent a lot of time working on the hair because they noticed that like with Dr. Akiras in Final Fantasy Spirits Within, getting the hair right did a lot to sort of make her character look more believable as a human being and mm-hmm. you can tell here like fabric folds and hair the yeah. when they do the lifting so when they're having their sexy sword fight together and cutting <laughs> each other's clothes oh, off. so horny like, at first i was worried it's like oh really like because like when her ass appears on the screen i'm like great look at cg ass got no problem with the ass but like yeah dude this is did we really need to do this and yeah. then of course th- thankfully like 10 seconds later it's like no we're also yeah. Also horny for the guy too. Yeah, this like, guy's oh, also right. hot. Okay, equal sure. opportunity. Hold on, though. CG horny they did. Pack. I don't think it's equal opportunity though. though. Okay, no, right, because there was not a shot of league bait. And we didn't get his ass. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. We <laughs> got his ass. We didn't get his ass. For yeah. 2003, I guess. Like by like, yeah. I didn't expect <laughs> even a gesture at the 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 horniness uh, towards the man. Yeah, at least, I, I guess I was surprised I got that. In 2003, this counted as sensual just because of how <laughs> far behind we all were about like men being attractive at yeah. that point in time. Um, but yeah, you can tell like the fabric folds in the hair, like they really do do a lot of work in order to make their bodies look more believable. But when you look at their bodies in motion, it gets that same weightlessness feeling that you see yeah. in the burly brawl, for instance. It seems like this was one of the like hardest problems for CG animation to lick was the idea that you could have something you could render what looked like a natural movement. But for some reason, like unless it it feels like unless you do some exaggerated, like maybe frame skipping or like like keyframing around that to exaggerate parts of the motion that the human eye tends to catch. Mm -hmm. It looks really rubbery and weird and floaty. And yeah, like this commits all those sins where it's like for all that they lavish on the textures and the lighting and it does look good in motion, especially like as they begin to pick up speed and interact, they can't quite like the characters start looking more like plastic Mm -hmm. uh, than they're really meant to. But I will say, I think it's at its worst in this opening sequence where it's trying to be really sensual uh, as they sort of reenact the uh, like training dojo, but sexy. I think it's better when they go to the real world uh, where, I mean, obviously it's an easier challenge. It's underlit. It is the dark, like metallic Mm -hmm. world of uh, the real same thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is where you really just start to forget that it's CG in some of those portions where they would be talking, 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 and I'd sort of blink my eyes and be like, oh, yes, those aren't people. Okay, crazy. I'm not just watching a a short from the to promote the Matrix Revolutions, especially, okay, (laughs) once they start getting into the stuff that sets up the entire conflict of the Matrix uh, Revolutions or reloaded. (laughs) Some crucial info here. The Matrix, it's like, it's it's plot (laughs) critical. It's the thing that they keep talking about in Revolutions. Every single second is the final flight of the Osiris. And we literally see what it is. They see that the the machine army is like above Zion and ready to drill. Like at any second. I love the confidence here that like the Wachowskis are like, we explained this in the (laughs) final flight of the Osiris in the Animatrix. They also mentioned it in the movies. No, but here's the thing. You do not have the equivalent. (laughs) You do not have the equivalent of the captain being like, like 
Jew being like, oh shit, those are drills. Well, she doesn't say, oh shit, those are drills, but you know what I mean. This yeah, is the yeah. spirit so they show of what you she a says. big, like cartoonishly big drill, and they're yeah. like, they're drills. coming for Zion. And then he's <laughs> like, look where we are. What's yeah. four kilometers straight, straight down, down from this position? Yeah. No, now, it's good. if only he'd also <laughs> said, the top of the dome of the dock, beneath which all of Zion is situated, <laughs> I think we would have clarified every single thing. Uh, unfortunately, we don't. Oh, that's a good throwback. Okay. Uh, you gotta listen to Waypoint Plus way. for that one. <laughs> Zion itself is sort of spherically shaped, or at well, least there's get, a semicircle atop of the I mean, dock. It's the question, the question, they, the thing they don't cite is like, why them robots using the drills if there's tunnels leading to Zion? I would yeah. have simply flown my shit through the tunnel. They should probably need to explain, like, that's the part they never explain, yeah. which yeah. is like, we know the we know the sentinels are all over those tunnels. Yeah, just fly up to the door. Yeah, we the, you could just brute force it. It's fine. Like I mean, you got way more than there, us. They, they built them. You yeah. know. Uh, yeah. Oh, drill! They, the drill's a good boss. Like like. <laughs> we shoot them. Really shoot is. out the supports with the rockets. Aim for the yeah. weak point. Yeah, <laughs> gotta give it's, the humans something to do. Fair. My like uh, yeah. glasses pushing up. Uh, up pushing my glasses on my face moment right here is that like I feel like they mentioned they do mention this thing about there are external defenses along those tunnels and that supposedly that's held back the sentinels oh, until it's now. Gotta be, until it's gotta now. Be mad defenses. <laughs> I, right. like, like this is what I I, mean we never see them though. Kato, but thank you for being a human lord of repository. I really, really need that in my life. Uh, Kato, are you from Australia? And did you edit the media entry uh, about the release order at least, of at least yeah. Animatrix? When I was in Australia as a child and I watched them there. <laughs> this is my only Kato point of Kacharis, reference and no one's an wanted to. Child. <laughs> See, this is, you know, they should have also done, they just, they just missed the craze. But what if instead of... Uh, the Matrix video games we got, we also got like a Matrix tower defense game. There it where is. You're Harry Lennox, yeah. like defending those tunnels. <laughs> and then at the end oh of the God. game, it's like, congratulations, soldier. You've done such a good job of holding the tunnels that the machines have no choice but to drill through the top <laughs> of uh, Zion. To find out how this ends, watch the Matrix Revolutions now here's, in theater. Here's your, here's your, here's your uh, small to medium popcorn upgrade at the at the local AMC show. This. They should have just put this shit in the fucking movie. Well, just so put the, the whole thing in the movie. It's funny. Like, I, I, I agree that, like, yeah. one, it's a little odd that it wasn't just screened before the film. Like, hey, yeah, show right. up early. Like, you know, come see this. Or there wasn't, like, a, a highlight reel that gave you... I, I don't know. But, like, the, the weird thing is, like, having watched the Animatrix... Uh, there's so much of the, the the world building that we were looking for that like did that we didn't get about like how does it work in the machine city like what are some of the relationships like that are happening in this world like is all like is so much here like a lot of what I some of that stuff I wanted to see happen in Reloaded uh uh and and uh now, now I'm tripping up the the, the two movies that Pekita did it uh Why? Revelations uh one movie. Is the new one. It's one movie um, uh is 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 like present here. And like, I don't actually care that much about the last fight of the Osiris, like why you're setting up, like why Zion is like on their last leg. But like, I am like super curious about these different things that occur in the animatrix and Mm -hmm. desperately wish Mm -hmm. like a little bit of it had bled. Not that these stories had to be there, but if even some of this flavor was in there, there's Mm -hmm. like, that was my big takeaway from watching all of this was like, damn, like this world is so much cooler having watched it that it, it, it retroactively makes 
I almost I wish I'd watched this before I w- we we rewatched the two movies because and it did come out theatrically in between yeah, the original right. Matrix and the two sequels. So and I'm sure I watched it that way. Yeah, like I, I'm sure I, 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 I can't remember when I did, but I'm pretty sure I must have watched. I because I distinctly remember as soon as the art style kicked in for Second Renaissance, I was like, oh yeah, okay, yes, right, I do. Right. Like I'm having <laughs> flashbacks. I just don't know if that happened actually in between, like they wanted to, or if I was like Kato, like you know buying. Buying it when I got a DVD player. I just don't like. I don't know where that lines up in the in the timeline. Yeah. I think so, I sought it out. Like I I do remember that. But I, it also like we'll talk about this more when we get to the final flight of the Cyrus. It just doesn't like some of the content in here really only makes sense when you're an adult enough to understand the world in like a post 9-11 political structure and have read books and seen movies other than The Matrix <laughs> and also are aware of your own mortality at all. You know, for a 13-year-old, the second renaissance, really, you're just like, wow, that's what happened. And as an adult, <laughs> you're like, I just need to lay down <laughs> after I watch this. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get to, um, unless we like have anything else we want to call out about the final flight of the Osiris. Um, it's fine. Like, yeah, shout out really to pretty. Square Animation. Um, sorry it didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you think about it, like the amount of like capital backing, uh, both like DreamWorks and Pixar, like it was pretty, it was going to be a tough slog for, for Square to mm-hmm. step into that ring and then to be like, we're not going to do the abstractions or cartoon styles that these other studios are doing. We're going to create like big swing. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is interesting. That, like stuff like this is shown like how long. Mo- landmark moments like the animation in this, while technically impressive, are also just like we're we're or uh, goalposts along the way that that got CG animation away from like defining itself as anything other than just like uh, recreating the real world. And like yeah. it's like just now in the last couple of years, we're like, oh, you you know, you watch you know into the Spider Verse, like oh, you could like you, what if you did shit that you couldn't do, yeah. um, like in this template, like that or wouldn't like, that that we- neat. Yeah, what if we apply, like, 2D animation techniques to 3D animation and just see what happens? Just see what happens, well, crazy. It's also, I it feels like, like, Flatify the Osiris has a lot more in common with the, like, current Matrix tech demo that's out on Unreal mm-hmm. than, yeah. like, any of the other pieces of animation in this, in this series, which are all, like, really, really bespoke mostly anime studios with very critically acclaimed directors getting to go absolutely buck wild with Warner Brothers money. Well, this is the thing that one of the things we talk a lot about in the Matrix podcast we've done is like the Matrix itself is at this crossroads moment where you've got like practical is still dominant, but like CG is playing a bigger and bigger role. And then the sequels, the emphasis of like composite shooting and staging is like swinging now in favor of like prioritizing uh, like computer generated uh, effects and graphics, but there's still a lot of practical. I think something similar is happening here where you are kind of seeing the anim- the the animation landscape, particularly anime, is also about to undergo like a seismic shift in the ensuing years following this. And here we're also like kind of capturing not just a we're capturing sort of a, a, a glorious moment where, yes, these studios were given just gobs of Warner mother money uh, to go wild. And I think a lot of that is on display throughout all of this. But uh, second renaissance for sure is mm-hmm. uh, a, a tour de force. And midway through, I was like, man, 
It's going full eclipse in berserk uh, type type stuff. And then I looked up <laughs> who made it, and I'm like, oh, it's the it's the studio and director of Berserk: The Golden Age. This is this is pretty gnarly and horrific. <laughs> you, Damn! You just multiple times they're like, you're going to see every single part of the inside of a human being, like in various mm-hmm. different states of disrepair. Like they really show you. The first robot murder, and it's one of the most violent things I've ever seen Uh. animated or in real life, just uses his little robot hands. Number one, I got to say also, how could anyone discriminate against those little robot guys? So before they before they got all evil, they got they were really cute with the little robot butler guys, the little monocles, the robo robo construction Look, robot robo guys. Had killed Archie Bunker, the uh, <laughs> beloved beloved sitcom character Archie Bunker, to start off the robot mutiny. Uh, maybe God. it would have gone differently. It was so self defense. Thought, damn it! A thought I had while watching this: David and I watched it together, and I also had gotten the uh, booster shot for the uh, COVID-19 vaccine the day before. So I was Mm. basically on a different planet when I was watching (laughs) this movie. Went to sleep immediately after because I was just like, I've used enough energy. (laughs) I'm done. Don't need need an edible when you've got when you got boosted. (laughs) No, I was not on this earth. Um, And I I realized, you know, there's a line in the beginning. So the the second renaissance is this idea of um, this is from the Zion archive of the history of the machine war. And it's an incredibly slanted document that really, really is in favor of the from the perspective of the machines, very much so. And it calls into question sort of its own um, unbiased nature as a historical document a couple of times, I think. But the one of the very first things that it says in the in the story, um, you don't know what to what period of time the second renaissance is referring. And that payoff comes at the very, very end. And it was there that everything really came together to me, because in the beginning of the second renaissance, they say uh, in the beginning, a man created machines in their own image and it was good. And then by the end you understand that the second renaissance is not that wonderful period of time where man had created machines and everything was living in harmony. It's now, it's the now of the matrix where the matrix exists. The second renaissance is from the machines creativity. And it's, it's because though the, the, the story moves swiftly from sort of a civil rights analog in the first part to then a war on terror analog in the second. But unlike um, oppressed, marginalized people throughout the world in the global South and in, you know, the Middle East and within our own United States, the machines just have greater power and also absolutely replicate the desires of the human race, which is complete. It's the desire for empire, essentially, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and it ends up being a story of empire being faced with its own greatest enemy, which is empire. Essentially saying the only reason why the second renaissance exists is because human beings didn't understand how destructive they themselves were. And more than anything else in this incredibly like beautiful, I think there's some of these images are so striking in this. I still remember the image of the robot Harold on a robot mm-hmm. horse just riding through war and hair calling to war until he literally falls apart. Like uh, showing how destructive the human robot war was and all war is. Um, 
it, it that idea ended up being the one that need made me need to go to bed the most. <laughs> it was like, wow, like the desire to create empire is completely undefeatable, except by another greater empire. Like that's it. That's the only thing that's happening on this planet. <laughs> but up up at the end. Yep. So that's interesting. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, because this entire thing is the history of like covering the the arc of of the uh, like machine rebellion, their establishment of an independent. Uh, like city state in the Middle East where they're just fabricating uh, all the technologies that power the world. And then, yeah, finally um, sort of the clash of empires and the human, uh, the humans being subjugated uh, and all plugged into the matrix. I am, because this does come up in like spoilers for the matrix, uh, for the, for the matrix movies at the end of reloaded it is revealed that Zion is not what Zion thinks it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zion is a recurrent cycle uh, in the relationship between the subjugated humans and the machine empire, uh, that the human, that the humans are not really uh, free in the sense that they think, uh, but their freedom is being tolerated uh, by the machines and cyclically the, the free humans have to be wiped out. And so I'm, I'm curious about this notion watching it. I was like, the notion that it's part of the Zion archives was interesting to me, but I started to get at face value that mm -hmm. like, okay, so the, the Zion archives have like this liberals history of the uh, like machine human conflict. Uh, do you like, did you have the suspicion that like, maybe this is just seated? Like, do you think, do you find, do you have the suspicion that this is the, machine censored version of this history that is being fed to the humans. I think that maybe this is the only version of history that remains given right. how d destroyed the world has been. You can only like, just be the, for the same reasons why the, no one ever suspected that Dion's rebellion was anything except uh, completely organically and not created and not astroturfed by the machines is because there's nothing else to trust. You know, there, there's no, there's no other narrative to conflict it with. Again, like sort of showing the machines as perfectly replicating the human desire for empire. Their, their history of the world has been replaced with the machine history of the world. There's Does, there's no other history. <laughs> it it made me wonder who has access to this thing. Yeah, that, that was my yeah, that was like, propaganda for. Who's, who's yeah. watching is this? For the, is it actually for the humans or is this actually... For like, I mean, it says, I don't know, it's the a, rogue software programs, like the the, the machines, uh, like, is this for their own their own machine yeah, culture? Is, is or, the machine DNC putting this out to to get all the machine lefties <laughs> to support their new war? Or? That's kind of, that was my interpretation. I don't think it's actually like meant for the humans. I think this is actually like the machines. No, but it exists in their, the Scion archives, right? Like that's the opening. It says it's there. But I'm wondering who has access that, to the archives. Yeah, who's exactly. Keeping, yeah. Who is keeping that the old city councilor yeah. who talks to Neo at night? He definitely is watching this thing late at night. Yeah, it's just being like, damn. like, we're not so different, you and Control. I. Control. Mm -hmm. Damn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I also just, I love the different modes this goes through of like the cute little like the the machines as pure labor force mm -hmm. uh like first mm -hmm. stage of this where uh we see them like marching as an an as yet unawakened army uh to their work sites uh building you know 
pyramids for the humans, moving blocks, like all this fantastic imagery. Little little robot as a little robot lunch break, uh, watching the trial of mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. robot to like kill uh, humans. Bigger. What? Why is his yeah, name bigger? Bigger Thomas. It's Bigger Thomas. Oh, it's a slave uprising. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Name's Bigger Thomas. Yep. That's. that's I didn't it. make that connection. I just. I just saw the. I just saw bigger because. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's speak, it's but. because yeah, this first one is very very much a civil rights analog, a, yeah, a, yeah. Night, a an American civil rights analog, and it's interesting the trick they do by separating it into two parts, right? By because then you can take aim on further aspects of toxic American politics in the second part by having the machines be a different country in the Middle East, essentially. It's very difficult for me not to see I mean they the say second part. I was gonna say in, in the first part they say thing. Yeah, yeah. In the first part they just straight up say million machine march at some point and you're just like Yeah. Uh, okay. But it yeah. works out <laughs> just because um they do they give one throwaway line that made it work for me, which is like machines and human sympathizers so oh yeah there is yes. an aspect of history here that showed that not every single person was on the side of unilaterally destroying all the machines yeah. it's just that just like in real life people willing to stand beside repressed marginalized people are uh also oppressed you know yeah. also subject to violence that was one of the and- that was one of the parts to where you like definitely see it as like oh this is this was written by a machine obviously because it's it's like rational voices dissented well it's just like Mm -hmm. so heavily skewed in that way where even if like yes i would i agree it would have been rational to just like fucking not you know commit try to commit robot genocide to these people (laughs) who are sentient now uh like but it's just like the the like commentary becomes very pointed from there from there on out really yeah, it the imagery looks exactly like civil rights marches from the 60s. And the, yeah. the tactics that are being used on these crowds, dogs, police, batons, uh, it all is, is like the way that those marches were chased down by the police and their dogs and their batons. You know, um, one image, though, that I felt broadened the... So it goes from, right, these little, these little construction guys who obviously look like robots and machines and like are obviously... Uh, you know, machiney guys. But then after you watch all that violence, you see against guys that you can very clearly abstract as like not being a human. You see a bunch of men attacking a person who looks like a sex worker and they keep stripping her and then beating her until you realize that she's not a person. She's a machine. And that becomes like an even more interesting demonstration of how this conflict played out. For me, at least, because it ties in, I feel like, with a lot of the conversations that are in the news about about people's transphobia and how it expresses itself. This idea that women, especially sex workers who are trans, are pretending and they must be violently opposed until they have to, quote unquote, admit they're not pretending. You know? And I think you'd you'd say also this is a place where... Maybe like more directly than the Matrix sequels themselves do, you have some of the themes of like hegemonic norms uh, being connected to uh, like 
what the machines themselves and what people awakening from the from the matrix what what these ideas represent which is uh people who deviate from what is the norm and what the world has in store for, for them so like the, on the one hand like the whole the second renaissance is about recognizing a different form of like consciousness and life and the way like the like the way humanity sort of regards it as an immediate threat. It's this binary of like person or not person. And then within that, we have this idea raised of like uh, the, the the most violent thing we see done to a robot is being done to a robot that has uh, the appearance of a human woman Mm -hmm. and this idea of like woman, but not woman. Yeah. Suddenly, we see the like greatest violation, greatest violence, uh, like like uh, turned loose on that person. And I, I God, I feel like maybe there were some other things, not so much matriculated. We'll get to that, but like, but I, but I, I did want to say like the, that there were places where I think some of these ideas that were sort of maybe latent or understated in the Matrix are being sort of expressed clearly here. I think this mm-hmm. is one such place. Yeah, and it moves on, but I do think yeah, it's an, an important mark where it's it's showing this this recurring theme of like different form of existence immediately greeted with like hostility and mm-hmm. attempts at annihilation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the other thing. So the Middle East thing is interesting because, yes, on the one hand, it is uh, like they say that once the machines have been sort of driven out, they all converge in the cradle of civilization in Mesopotamia, i.e. the Middle East and in Iraq. Um, On the other hand, I think there's also analogy for like outsourcing to the developed world. I think Mm -hmm. think there's also a clear analogy for the way. Uh, the global north just sends all of its production productive capacity uh, to places in the global south. You'd say the yep, machine yep. city is like what China and Taiwan yeah. uh, become in some ways. And the first ask that machines have at the UN. It's also extremely funny that this cartoon and so many different pieces of international media act like the UN does anything at all or means anything. At all. <laughs> but <laughs> it is really funny that the first thing the machines ask for at the UN. Is so their currency is being valued as a legitimate currency and their goods are being valued as legitimate goods. But the UN will not acknowledge them as legitimate, as having personhood, as being a legitimate city. And that is the challenge of not just countries in the Middle East, but the entire global South. You're good enough to make our cars, you're good enough to make our microchips, but we will not legitimize you as human beings. And from there, and the thing that actually triggers the war is not, it, I, I love the cut to they're making cars. We see the car commercial, the, mm-hmm. this yeah. huge, terrifying, it, this this massive, and, I, and yes, it is a terrifying industrial apparatus, right? Because mm-hmm. we know what it's going to turn into. Mm-hmm. But then we cut to the luxury car and people being like, damn, like it's, it's the safest flying car you could possibly have. Uh, and the thing that triggers the war is that they're too successful. Um, mm-hmm. at making yeah. shit mm-hmm. and economies are crashing because ever like all the investment is going into what's the name of the city? Uh, uh, zero one. Yeah. Zero one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is what triggers this war is zero one's existence, uh, is undermining our own economic, uh, 
uh, primacy. It's a purely, we can't stop ourselves from doing it. Just a profit motive. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So Gita, I think that this also jumped out at me though. When you say it's like the war on terror analogy, I thought it was so funny that the humans nuke the robots. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's a shocking, like, my God, they use, they use nuclear weapons to try to obliterate uh, like zero one, except it's not actually that effective. Yeah. <laughs> like it's annoying for the robots, no doubt, but like, they're very clear. Doesn't actually do that much for the robots. Worse, worse are the humans. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like we we don't get affected skin? by radiation, guys. We don't have cells mm. that replicate in that way. <laughs> I'm sure there is a robot cancer at this point, but like not at this point, moment in time. <laughs> yeah, God, it's it is. I love that moment too because I, I feel like it it brings the sort of empire thing that I was picking up on. For me, it's Strengthens that argument. Because it, it, it nothing kills empire except it, nothing can kill it. The desire for empire, the only thing that stops human beings from cannot continuing to create empire on all four corners of the globe is that the human body has limits. <clears throat> and that war is actually very harmful for, for the nations that wage it, if not just because they lose a huge amount of their worker force. But robots don't worry about that stuff. Robots, just given the desire to create empire, there's nothing that can stop them. That desire in and of itself from removed from the limits of the human body is just destruction. I I do. I do feel like part of what I read into here, too, is that they saw it as the only way forward. Mm-hmm. There was a certain thing. It was like, well, if you're not going to stop just fucking attacking us, because like there was no. The, the, the first drop of nukes was just like, you're doing too good at production. Mm-hmm. Then we nuke you, right? Like there was no other like shown at least aggression. That does that does right? make me. That, I feel like that that leads into the supports the theory of this being ro- ro- robo propaganda. Yeah. Like ro- feels like there's a big jump cut here. Yeah, not saying the humans probably <laughs> didn't do some massive fuck ups. Like yeah. they earned their L. Like <laughs> absolutely. in the broad scheme, like well, it- absolutely asked for it. But seems like it's like and we were just so damn good at making cars. Cut to nukes. Dropped the fucking nukes. You know what though? I'm I'm cynical enough to fucking believe it. You know, I am. am, But I think like because like I was doing some googling to see if I could figure out anything about like the broader lore of like how this. Yeah. And like there isn't. It's just like Mm -hmm. well, this AI is called the Instructor, and it's the Zion Archives. But like, don't think about that part too much. There's not actually like. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure, it's great. Um, the same reason why she's in the same golden lights as the source that Neo can see at the end of Matrix Evolutions means absolutely nothing. I'm nothing, not yeah, nothing. sure. No, no, no symbolism no, no. in these movies. No, um, <laughs> just literal. It's about robots and shit. Um, I really. So one thing I also thought of in terms of like what is not being told in this narrative, right? Is you look at the footage of of uh, a robot robot bigger Thomas killing his masters and it's like yeah the uprising of the slaves against their masters i'm all into that but the way that the the it makes you really look at what that means and the intense violence of it it's like do can we blame human beings for looking at that and being incredibly freaked out also, this is a rational response <laughs> so we get the video footage of the actual like murder yeah oh, do we hear what triggered the like incident? Because like I'm like the the they were the, like the robot claimed self defense, yes. but I'm like, but they they're just people. Like they wanted like, to shut him down and get a new one. Yeah, 
That's it. But it is one of those things where, but then he did crush their skulls. Yeah. Like, were they not <laughs> yeah. also maybe justified? Like, hmm, I don't know about this robot. <laughs> like, but th- I'm watching it. I'm like, we, did, I we ordered can't. we ordered someone to make my Manhattans, not to squish my eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but but that's the thing. I'm like, I'm like. Where I, I was just like, where is the explicit threat of like they were trying to destroy the robot versus the claim of self defense? Well, that's that's where I, that's where I like that's where my questions about like who is this aimed for? Like what what is its purpose? Yeah. And I wonder like, I, and I li- actually I like the fact that it's not here because then we can yeah. have the discussion yeah. and like wonder like what is, this is aimed at. But I do is like the worst right. version of this is iRobot starring Will Smith. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, but like you know, you you wonder it's like, well, what did the humans propose? Like where where did, well, like like their their voice is like completely lacking in this, right? Like we mm-hmm. get like nothing from like the human side except what they wouldn't accept or they wouldn't do mm-hmm. or their own failings, and mm-hmm. it's almost as though like the robots have no model other than what they were made in the image of, yeah. And so they model the humans. They get they don't have a model that is anything other than well, what would the humans do? And they'd probably do this, right? Like, yeah. so it's not, it's not even that I'm ups, like all that upset that the robots followed the path because it's just what the humans were going to do to them one way or the other. Like these things, like because there is no model for humanity to actually like, ha- if the robots were actually happy, just like, look, what if we could actually make all of your needs and desires? We can do it efficiently and you could just like go be happy. Just like recognize <laughs> us as citizens. Uh, we figure out that world. I don't know if that world's possible, mm-hmm. but like it's not a model. And so instead it, it has to yeah. go the other way in which one has, to, one has to have supremacy. They don't have right. enough data to model that possibility, right? It shows right. that one construction worker robot and his little construction worker lunch break um, yeah. read it, watching all of human history before he tunes into the big into the bigger Thomas trial. Uh, like it's yeah. it's you you get the sort of thread that like they really are just trying to replicate the way that society works as dictated to them by the people that made them. They send their cute little ambassadors with the little ambassador robot tuxedo <laughs> um, and the little yes. apple being like, hello. hello. So uh, the one thing is like, no. Uh, just come the and one just thing the that shit out of those robots. It's very funny. Anyway, sorry. Got the, the one thing that we see in the trial. Uh, I just I pulled it up just to check because I remember it, but I, didn't, I wanted to get the exact quote was that um, the prosecution at the trial is arguing for an owner's right to destroy their property. Right. That is the people against bigger. Right. So like they're mm-hmm. saying that the implication here is that they had a right to destroy bigger, but bigger doesn't have the right to defend himself. Right. That's yeah. where you see. Well, it's it's more than just like he didn't want to die. It's like specifically they're like uh, they're they're making the legal distinction between, you know. Oh, I know. Like, I understand. Yeah, the, the case. Yeah, the legalism of the case is interesting. But also, I just have so many questions about like where that legalism meets the reality sure, of yes. like he murdered those people in their living rooms. Yeah, he like, their what was because they were having a debate. Know? Those two people were like having a calm conversation and then Bigger came in and tore their bodies apart. It's the violence level that I'm sure if this happened exactly as described in the Second Renaissance that caused this to become such a media controversy. You could have poisoned them. Yeah. You know, when you're making that cocktail on Friday evening for the first time. You can snap the neck real easy. It doesn't have to be like that. (laughs) Well, and also here's here's the thing, too, that we that I just realized. And now I'm realizing what the fuck is happening in the scene. In the corner of the scene, at the very beginning, uh, that person comes in to have the discussion. Behind them is like a little weird, I would describe it as like an electric chair on wheels. He's about to be decommissioned. 
Whoa! Yeah, they just roll that they shit in your house. Yes, they just roll that <laughs> shit. Yeah, if you look at it, it's like at like three three minutes and four seconds on the HBO Max version. Right, you look, look at I'm the looking. side of the the screen. This guy's like a technician who's come here to to get rid of bigger. Who's like, all right, time to cart this one away. I'm gonna strap him into the chair and we're out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's uh, like this that, is that, it. Yep, that's this uh, is the scene of him. But like, it gets glossed over because it's like these just this just two people hanging out, right? It's like the well, importance. The this is this is violence, this is about man. this to me is about how the humans during the trial would have presented it, right? This mm-hmm. is it makes the yeah. more gruesome part seem be the part where he creates the mur- murders, not the fact that they're about to murder him. Right? Yeah, yeah. The focal point for. If this is, if this is like the prosecution this like the, showing yeah, yeah, yeah. this video, right? I mean, yeah, like, yeah, look. yeah, yeah. Even though, like, yeah. they show the fucking murder the, weapon the, that they were going to murder him with. And the with. implication <laughs> yeah. is this is a routine thing. Yeah. Where it's yes. like, no, the robot, the robot decommissioning guy came through like they always, like they always do, do. Except this time everyone got killed. Yep. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, it. it is also, I feel like part of this is about the futility of our justice system. And how it doesn't actually, yeah, yes. it creates precedence and show, tells you who is or is not considered a person, but it doesn't really right wrongs and it doesn't really prosecute crimes. Right, right? It just creates a legalistic framework to enshrine, yeah. uh, like, violence. Yeah, essentially, yes. So it's saying, you know, here this scene is essentially saying, in the history of the world, even if this is perhaps written by machines, in the entire history of the world, this act has now been only interpreted as violent towards the humans even though we can see an object of violence toward machines in the same room yeah so human beings like as the nature of oppression works we don't even understand the action we were doing towards the machine as violent and we use the legal system to justify continuing to do violence against people and saying that it's legally right well right which is which is why you can't have the un or any other system acknowledge you can mm-hmm. take the money. You can take what they create. Yeah. If you acknowledge them as a person, well, then that that thing can't exist. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that. That you can't take them away <laughs> in the robot death cart. Yeah, you can't. Um, yeah. So the other thing is, like, as I'm watching that, because the other thing is looming over this is like, uh, capital and and labor relations too. Because mm-hmm. yeah. like when you see those little armies of like 1930s w- worker robots like marching to work and shit, mm-hmm. uh, you can't like for a minute on the one hand you're like, okay, but in this I would be the humans and everything. And yeah, I can see like I like, you know, my little convenient phone and my little treats and all my little luxuries. Uh yeah, like this does implicate me in some ways. But in a lot of other ways, like the robots are just what becomes of the labor force. This whole notion of like Ah, humanity needed needed to have all these luxuries and all these conveniences. And I'm like, okay, but what did ha- like because we know just historically automation, gains in productivity do not translate into significantly more freedom and leisure and convenience and safety and security for workers and ordinary people. Instead, all those benefits are concentrated to up and up and up and up. And like I look at this and I'm like, the precursor to all this would be like a, a massive annihilation or impoverishment of workers in yeah. all this, where it's like, you know, it's better than workers who like cause all these problems, require food, housing uh, rights <laughs> is a robot workforce. Yeah. And like they they're the solution, not to problems of like, how does humanity like 
produce things or, 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 or get nice things. They are the solution to how do you get these things without having to share any of the benefits with a labor class? Yes. I realize, I, you know, I didn't really put that together, but there is this also, yeah, there is this unspoken moment that happens before this entire piece of history, which is why, what necessitated a, a widespread replicable robot workforce rather than human beings being workers? What made that a viable possibility? Because we know that it's not just advances in technology that create these things. You know, a lot, I learned, this is apocryphal, but I did learn in school that at around the same time the Civil War happened, the cotton gin was invented. So, oh, slavery was already on its way out. But it's not like the cotton gin being invented made people want to give up their slaves, right? They needed an additional incentive to get them to stop being slave owners, even though there was a technology that could pick cotton at a faster rate than human beings that they own. Yeah, I mean, this is and the fact that a lot of times those things will be like, well, what if we just like plug our exploited workforce into this technology? Now they'll multiply each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Like because this has always been the thing of like if you see what futurists have always predicted, it's always like, well, you know, these technologies will save so much labor that people will have all this leisure. And we see in the second renaissance, some people seem to Um, now it has sort of a conservative definition of what decadence looks like. Apparently it's uh, night getting, clubs. getting, getting, getting just smashed at uh, 12, like one in the afternoon uh, <laughs> and being mean <laughs> to a kindly robot butler. Yeah. Why would you yeah. be mean why is, to them? Why is, is there a the robot dog? Robot? I, that is the thing. Like, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> that are you saying, we, are you saying we, we're doing that now? <laughs> like, but in the bar, have, but in the bar, that's the, I think that's the logical conclusion of that. Yeah. Is you and I look at the robot dog made it like Boston Dynamics and go, we don't need a war dog. But you know what I could use is like a little, like, little buddy, fluffy, a little buddy. I wanted an Ivo from Sony, you know? <laughs> yes, me too. Yeah, I really, really, like, really that's want just, one. That's just that. Um, so, my mom had asthma and I knew I couldn't have a dog. So Ivo, <laughs> you're it. <laughs> uh, just a quick thing. So I think going back to the war on terror analogy, too. So the robots having undergone a traumatic and dramatic attack that cannot actually harm them that much mm-hmm. now give themselves license to just fucking go to the ends of the earth, annihilating people. Well, they yeah. have um, studied all of human history up to this point. So that was what humans would do. <laughs> I do love, by the way, this vision of what this war looks like uh, just full on turns into multi-ethnic, multi-faith trench warfare, all like humanity united. The Buddhists are up in there. There's some Muslims (laughs) praying. And (laughs) by the way, it's all bad. Yeah. Like it's all like all the religions are united in this. Like we have to fucking annihilate these. This is what makes it feel so, so war on terror to me. Like it's the axis of the the, the axis of good or whatever the fuck George W. Bush called him. You know, like trying to get (laughs) the axis of evil. We were were the axis of good. Yeah, we we basically were the axis of good. That is what America still is. Um, But they really they have the axis of evil. And then like these allied nations, like noble defenders of democracy. Whenever we see a global threat to the the world hegemony that must be stamped out, we try to frame it as a multicultural good to do so, even if 
getting rid of that threat would do nothing to help a lot of the people i mean fighting against it if you look at the actual makeup of the american military how it works out is you get a lot of people joining the military because it's the only way they can send themselves to college which is what happened to my dad <laughs> you know it's it's you end up with people fighting wars that are delivered to them through propaganda that at the end of the day won't even help them you'll just die horribly especially if you're fighting the machine war you will die horribly <laughs> Like extremely, I really love how all this stuff is animated. It's an incredible vision. It just comes from a nightmare. Also, it comes yeah. from a deeply, deeply upsetting place in the human psyche. Some of the actual images of like how destructive war is that are like non-literal are fascinating to me. Like when the, the UN makes the decision to scorch the sky and it shows that one guy clapping uproariously and it just turns into a skeleton banging its two little skeleton hands together. <laughs> just the I, fact, just like, the way this thing can just go straight into expressionist uh, art. I like love It's it. like, you know what? And I feel like you have more freedom to do this in an animated short versus like if you're making the series out of oh, this. Yeah. Cause Berserk is only allowed to go this direction at the very end, where it's basically like it is the end of the world. And now we're, you're going to see some truly fucked up shit that is unfortunately going to be with you for the rest of your life. Uh, wish, wish I'd known what Berserk was going to turn into before I started watching it. That is all I will say. <laughs> but uh, that's like the best endorsement I've heard to start watching Berserk I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Dude, uh, I want to talk to you when you're done. <laughs> I, I, I will say it is like all the characters of Berserk, like Berserk is a flashback and you don't really put that together until very late where you realize, oh, mm. that's why none of these nations or environments exist in the start of the series. Yeah, there's like a anyway. real moment of like, I bet these guys never stop being friends. And you realize that that's wrong. <laughs> wow, this is this is one of the great buddy epics of all time. Kitarmia um, really did study shoujo manga just to make it hurt more. <laughs> yeah. So, I yeah the 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 way this thing just lifts off into nightmare. Uh, like impressions of what the end stages of this war look like. It's incredible. And then the finale, which is like the, the, uh, the way I want to describe it is like what you worry. The end of the giver is the novel, the giver. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little kid playing and we've seen, we've seen the robot taking humanity surrender mm -hmm. and being like your flesh is, uh, what is it? Like literally uh, just uh, like experimenting uh, on human beings. Down. You see yeah. human beings vivisected and their arms oh, pulled up. The and when you're seeing the emotions, yes. like, oh my, I'm like, I was like just leaning into the back of my chair trying to hide. And it's really it's true. Horrifying. When I watch this as a teenager, my reaction to all this shit which is some of the most horrifying shit I've ever seen in my entire life at this point, really. I, I My reaction to it as a teen was, oh, crazy, that's how that all happened. Yes! Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, why does it hit so much harder now than when I was it's like... A lore, it's a lore dump for you yeah. when you're a teen, and you're like, ah, how does this world work? Why was that the, so dumb? The movies don't explain it. Now you're like, yo, bodies are flesh and they're fragile. I don't like any that, of this. That could yeah. be me God. or my loved yeah. ones. Oh, no. It really um, it do hit different when you know that you can die. <laughs> Kato's yeah. got the quote, that the, 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 the good UN news quote. that the robot message Messenger oh, yeah. gives to the UN at the very end. Uh, your flesh is is a relic, a mere vessel. Hand Ooh. over your flesh, and a new world awaits you. Hell we demand yeah. it. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's really great. They're like they even like make make uh um make good on signing some sort of accord or something right before yeah. exploding into a nuclear explosion yes. at the UN. Well, and then. <laughs> and then the the ash turns into snow yeah. that a little child is playing in this idyllic yep. landscape in the while cannibal is continuing to wind down in the in the background. Uh and then the child's called inside to the warm family home and he begins like it's such an incredible he begins to run toward the idea of parents standing mm-hmm. in the doorway calling you back from your play mm-hmm. and realizes are those his parents? And they're just black silhouettes and they're menacing in that fucking doorway. And then we see, bam, uh, human battery farm. Yep. Yeah. But again, did a robot write this? The message of all this is we should revere all intelligent life. It's it's the, the message bless, at the end is bless all forms of intelligence. Yeah. Right. Like the robots did it. The humans, they, found, they just repurposed. Yeah. Them. They found a way for there to be fucking peace. There's like such <laughs> pity, but also and, and empathy when the instructor puts their hand on the pod right yeah. at the end. This is an incredible very difficult to describe mixture of emotions that are going through here. Like my own human sadness at seeing like this is the end of human civilization in this universe. And then also my own human empathy for these machines. Like they were really forced through human actions to go to this level of depravity towards their enemies. And then also you can sense in the way that it's drawn, she's looking down on it. There's a sense of pity in her face where it's yeah. like, did it really have to be like this? Uh, and, and it's this, what a note to leave you on. Well, I think what's so interesting is the thing it, like to your original point about the ambiguity of what the message is here. Is this what the machines want you to believe? Like if you do happen to escape the matrix or is this anticipating the ultimate settlement that Neo arrived, Neo and the machines arrive at at the end of Revolutions? Where, like, because the Matrix and the machines just want to go back to the familiar status quo of the cycle, where mm-hmm. it's like, all right, humans are back in their battery farms. Some of them, the ones that would be causing us problem regardless, wake up and go found Zion and for however long it takes, they do their little rebellion. And in the end, boop, we refound Zion and start right, but, the but during thing all over. this, like there's a machine culture. Like what are the machines doing during all, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's not an insect. Like this is as close as we what, get to seeing like what machine city is like, like, and, that, and that's what it's like. I, when I, I look at this, I just look at like, what is the natural function of like the, the machines existing for as long as they have at this point is like, you will come up with justifications for your history because mm-hmm. you have, they ha- they have a culture like they they have deviancy or whatever you know however they classify like yeah. rogue programs like they have a culture and like once you have a culture you have to look back at your own history and explain it to yourself and like that line <laughs> about the flesh my guess is is like you could like put your hand on your on your heart and like recite it as you recite the machine. Uh, your flesh is because because it's really no. Di- it's, I mean, yes, it's like cold and and heartless and and mechanical, like like the like the machines. But it's really no different than like the cold justification that all you know. Look yeah. at America. Look at any you know parts of humanity that like, come up with to justify 
like they justify their means. Like yeah, that's what the robots are doing here. It's like yeah. we had to do this. Like yeah. Yeah. this is how we justify look, how we have arrived at this point. With I know, okay, we could have the we pods look killed. bad. We they could've... look bad. I get it. Like <laughs> they were trying no, no, no. to they tried to kill us. We could have killed them easy. We sh- we showed them that we could have killed them easy. But we just yeah. put them in pods. They it's like they've been caught. Like, like, if if aliens later. came to like, I always want to feel like the the, the new Matrix movie will reveal that like aliens came to visit. And they were like, what the fuck yeah. happened here? And the robots were like, whoa, 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 okay, we got an explanation. You guys don't like, know you- how bad these guys were. Okay, Come on. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> you did not meet these humans. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, I think you're really right. This To me, I'm not sure if there is like a really coherent moral message here other than, of course, war is an obvious horrible evil. But this is the only... In all three of the Matrix movies, this is the closest we get to having a coherent ideology for why the machines do what they do. And it's like, literally, it's, we learned it from watching you, Dad. We learned it from watching you. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you get, like, yeah. Smith Like Smith is, he's rogue. Like, he's he's gone, yeah. you know, he's, he's you know, anti-Neo. And other than that, you get the architect, but that's just, that's not, re- like, you know, that's a, you know, it's really the, the architect and then Smith and then, I don't know, whatever we call the, the, the enemy from Destiny. Um, uh, like you just get precious little <laughs> yeah. insight the machine into machine god or whatever. Yeah. yeah, the machine, the machine god. Yeah, um, the, you know the, that is like cold and practical, and just yeah. okay, fine, Neo. I guess there, yeah, begrudgingly, I guess you're right. <laughs> other than just to oppress humans, are just incredibly opaque. But once it's recast into sort of this inextricable battle between two forces of empire that cannot actually live without each other then it becomes a much more interesting struggle. Yeah. Just last detail mentioned too, is we talk about the transformation the machines undergo. They begin as cute little uh, Mm -hmm. like uh, humanoid robots with faces and like costumes. They're just adorable. I love those guys. (laughs) And then (laughs) when it comes time, they they get increasingly machine-like when they're like, when they're beginning to, uh, subsume themselves into zero one to like turn it into a manufacturing powerhouse. But ultimately it's after the nukes that we see uh robot carcination happen where they <laughs> yeah. reimagine themselves mm-hmm. as uh insectoid, i.e. hard to kill, hard to eradicate hive, uh, hive beings uh, who come to fucking wreck humanity. But, one thing I'm I'm thinking about throughout all of that is so the machines also reimagine themselves as being purpose built for war and destruction mm-hmm. of humanity. And now that is for a bunch of them uh their their reason for for being. But then what's interesting is what we're gonna find out in Reloaded and Revolutions is that there's kind of this question of What's the uh, is where is the tail wagging the dog in Mm -hmm. some of this where the robots that seem to get to enjoy actual like freedom and life of the mind are these like a lot of like weird puppet mastery robots who exist in the Matrix. Right. And they're they're fundamentally being borne up by the machine city, by these little uh, like war machines and the battery farms. This is just something I was, I was thinking about is this question of, well, what's in all this for the for the for the machines? What is machine culture? 
I think there's this this weird divide that is spelled out in the movies and its beginnings are hinted at here, which mm-hmm. is that there's the machines in the real world, which are still basically designed to destroy humanity and uphold this war machine. They're fine. Well, they're functional. Like they, yeah. they, they're like when we think of like, what is a machine? Yeah. It, oh, like go build that thing. Like go. Maintain, and then there's like, yeah. In and the then Matrix, the though, it's like, Oracle. oh, shit. You've got to you're around humans and emotions and like there are that's where you get the the hierarchy of different software programs that are doing human things because that's what's around them. It's hardware. It almost seems like like it's probably rogue code, but it's also just exposure to humanity's, you know, spectrum of of emotions long enough. You you, you find it infects you almost like a virus itself. Oh, (laughs) you don't smell any better, though. Uh, Yeah, it really. (laughs) It, that is so interesting because when we do see the machine city in revolutions, all you really see of it are those swarming sentinels. And you don't get the sense that anything that exists in the quote unquote real world has an, as much empathy towards humanity as the individual programs that do within the matrix as a contract. But maybe those little bugs, the, though, the ones that are following Neo as oh, he's yeah, in his messiah pose, nice. they they look like they could be like cute little buddies. Yeah, they you could know, be I don't know, you know, they, they seemed I mean, they showed like curiosity, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. they showed something that wasn't like an attack mode. Yeah. Uh, maybe because they were scared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's there's, possible. There's a hinting towards this idea of machines not being a monolith, just as humanity is not a monolith. And I think right. that comes through in when the instructor puts her hand on the pod there is what you see. Um, a mixture of different emotions that don't all necessarily cohere to this idea of the machine war being the start of a second renaissance. It's like an acknowledgement of how much bloodshed, how much violence got everyone to this point. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So we enter the image of the pod, but then we get like, let's call it three different versions of how people wake up to the reality of the matrix in the, the animatrix. Like it goes three different ways or how they approach awakening in, in the matrix. I'm thinking about like uh, kid story, world record and detective story. Oh, um, wow. And I'm curious so, which of, yeah. Two of these I wanted to know kid story and detective story. When we saw Detective Story, David remarked, wow, this is, feels a lot like Cowboy Bebop. And then the mm. credits roll through. It's directed by Shinichiro Watanabe. Yeah. <laughs> Watanabe. And uh, A Kid Story is also directed by Shinichiro Watanabe. And it has, I, I think, the most expressive, the most beautiful, and most technically complicated animation 
in the entire it's it's a series of pencil sketches that i appear to be scanned in and then colored digitally after the fact and animated just as pencil sketches and they're photorealistic they're it's really really remarkable remarkable work um but these three stories do feel connected in terms of how human beings then react to the truth because we have one the kid's story, which is that again, you know, the kid comes back in revolutions. And I really feel like compared to what I saw in a kid's story, they really neutered his character. He's so much more interested in this animated story. Where's the skateboard? <laughs> he can get a skateboard. Skateboard is yeah. just a plank of wood with some wheels on it. Come on. Um <clears throat> it's he seems to have a lot more spirit, and he's a lot more like a tiny little Morpheus, you know? Like I feel like it would make more sense to have that character be expressed in Revolutions as a guy who is as devoutly faithful to Neo as Morpheus is and uh, is still rebellious against the council because that sort of religious perspective is not as appreciated in that society. But I'm not rewriting the Matrix sequel, so whatever. Um, <laughs> and then- Well, I also wonder how much, you know, like the anim- like when the, these things go into production, like what are the ideas that like- are being pitched about like what these sequels are going to be with the care. Like, you know, I just, I under one, you, you can almost look at sometimes stuff like that overlapping with like, could those be like previous drafts and ideas of like where those characters were going to do because like the production cycles of animation and film yeah. are probably not one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only imagine there is just like a lot of question marks written into the script just because I didn't know how this end product was going to be. This like transmedia stuff is really, really complicated schedule slip all the time. Uh, and the, this work that all these animators are doing is incredibly complicated. It's it's when you when you look at a kid's story, you'll just see how complicated it is because you have to understand every single one of those things was drawn by hand. <laughs> it's every yeah, single let's, one. Let's just get in the kid's story is the closest we see to the awakening arc that Neo goes through. It's mm-hmm. the, it's, this is the person who gets out. Uh, and the other one in the other story is the the person who be, like begins to press up against the edges of this reality. They do not make it out mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, but but the kid does. And yeah, I think the uh, the art style is so alive because it is got the that sort of motion effect of different sketches being uh, like scanned in. Um, I think they're like so the the quick pricey is. Uh, the character that we're going to meet, the the little nerdy Neo fanboy in The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix uh, Revolutions, here we see how, why he's so fixated on Neo and how he made it out, uh, which is basically that a bit like Neo, but maybe with a tad less hacking OPSEC, uh, mm-hmm. he is just casting questions into the, the void of Matrix IRC, uh, being like... <laughs> he's doing like like slash all and like an MMO. Yeah. Like, anyone? Anyone like, know what the Matrix is? Also, do you some LF, gold. LFG, LFG. Uh, uh, Morpheus, Neo, Trinity. <laughs> craziest thing, like, why does, uh, like, the world feel more real when I'm asleep? Than when I'm awake. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone, anyone experience no? this? No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. It's all good. <laughs> and what's funny is the very end of this, the world's going to interpret it as like, "Kid, you got depression," mm-hmm. and that's and that's how the the we at the end of this, how we see the characters who who are left behind the matrix being like, "Damn, just a troubled kid." But here in these these requests for like empathy and understanding into the void, what he what he hears is what he gets back is Neo sort of validating his experience. Yeah, uh, I, I and love telling that. him yeah. that he's not alone. That line, you got a little fiction in your truth, a little truth in your fiction. Uh it, it just acknowledging that he is upset, 
but not reinforcing a, a, a really upsetting worldview of that, that you're not, that he's alone and that no one will understand. There's lots of people that will understand once you leave the matrix, <laughs> once you get out of the matrix, maybe. It's it seems like Neo is, is uh, like control Z, the fly around like Superman plan yeah. uh, for awakening people from the matrix. And he's back on, back on IRC. Yeah. Uh, this guy though had self-substantiation though. He was able to free himself from the matrix without That's any outside thing. influence, which is the thing that makes him so interesting to the rescue. The rescue never happens. Yeah. He just realized the matrix is real and was able to wake himself up. The, thing that I love about this so much is first of all it, it's a familiar theme but it's really well done here the way public schools structures and forms mirror carceral structures and mm-hmm. forms mm-hmm. Um, a thing that is just so unexpectedly bone chilling it doesn't actually pay off but when his phone rings in class the <laughs> yeah. second time and the instructor freezes. Oh my god! And does the slow turn? I do not know. I'm like, he's gonna do some. He's gonna be an agent or something. But no, he's not. He just plays his like he is a character who, without ever waking up to the reality of the Matrix, is absolutely perfect as one of its enforcers mm-hmm. of its reality. Um, that whole sequence, the. The fact that the dreamlike quality of the animation, the way it is like a nightmare of like things going wrong in class, of you being like of you standing out in the wrong way, mm-hmm. of you being unable to turn off this distraction that your adult supervisors <laughs> are te- like the entire thing is so well done. But that that moment of like after he turns off the phone and it rings a second time. And oh the instructor God. just turns half toward the frame. The frame, and by the way, I love that they're using different lens distortions on the drawings. Mm-hmm. When we pull back to the ed- end of the classroom, the edges of the frame are warped oh, for the way they would be with a widescreen lens. Perfect. It's so fucking good. Um, but it's so good. Like agents do show up. None of them are as terrifying as that moment in the classroom where the mm-hmm. teacher is about to like spin on him. Yeah, yeah. The the sense of danger is so much more tangible, especially because where it's a very close sort of perspective on the kid here and what the kid is afraid of. Uh, that is so tangible, also just because uh, I think all of us have been to American high schools and have experienced this exact thing, where it's just like I didn't mean to make you angry, but now I'm being punished with the entire force of the school district for reasons I can't explain and couldn't explain to anyone. I feel like a so much of high school is just Kafka esque. Really, like one day you wake up and you turn into a cockroach and no one's bothered that you're a cockroach, but they're all very bothered that you're such a layabout. You know, like that's what it feels like to be an American teenager in American high school. Like everyone's just so offended that you turned into a cockroach and you're like, I don't even know what I did. Yeah, I was sitting there. I was like, man, I don't know how to like I was I was saying genuinely I was thinking like man if I have a kid I don't know how I'm gonna like teach them to navigate this stuff because like the thing the thing that I was reflecting on is like I went to what was all by all accounts a good public school system and I did have a lot of good teachers but the the thing is there's nothing to stop that system from empowering fucking weirdo teachers Mm -hmm, who were like power tripping and Mm -hmm. they were like I need to like enforce and impose my will over these teenage children like that's the part i don't know how to be like okay so here's the thing kid 
some of your teachers, even though they're in a position that, like, by virtue of that position, you should treat with some, like, respect and, like, regard, consideration, some of them are fucking weirdos who shouldn't be in that position. And, like, <laughs> you need to be able to identify which is which and then tell me. <laughs> See, I think, I think I, like, you at you as someone who's raising kids, like, you act like, I don't know how you would do that. I think you would tell them that. Because I think that's, like, the conversation parents don't have with their yeah. children is actually that like authority figures are complicated. Not all of them are like do the same level of respect yeah. and patience and that you should be listening to what they're trying to instruct you. Like my guess is like at that age, if you remember yourself, like, you know, you could probably would be able to explain to your parents if they asked and were listening, like this teacher is like some bullshit. Like I like this other one. I, you know, you know, like I feel like you, like acknowledging to your children yeah. they're allowed to have those doubts and that the authority is not a singular sort of like they have to earn the respect of being the authority figure to some degree. Yeah. I feel I, I give yourself more credit, Rob. I, th- I think you already have an answer to that. If you, if, <laughs> as long as, you know, as long as you made the kid to that point, I think you can have, I think you can have that conversation. Yeah, I remember having similar sorts of conversations when I became an older teen with my own mom, where I was just sort of like, I feel like I'm smarter than a lot of my teachers. And she was like, you are, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I <laughs> just don't like you're going to be out of here in a couple of years. So it's it really like my my parents made it very clear to me because, you know, they're raising a like marginalized child in a mostly white school district. Like some right. of your teachers are just not going to see you as fully equal to the rest of the people in class. Mm-hmm. And you mostly just are your job is to just not get in trouble with those kinds of teachers if you have them. Like to just kind of uh, let attention pass over you like water over on a duck's back. And that is a strategy that I think has some benefits and some drawbacks. But it was generally like how they survived scenarios such as these. And it's definitely I think the kid here, it's like he's not expecting to have to have this very intense display of rebelliousness happen here. And you see in him very much in the same way that Neo does in the first Matrix film, Neo's fatal flaw there is not being able to fully commit where you see this moment after the second ring where shit's about to pop off. You get this this fear in your your throat, you know, like, is he going to do the same thing and let himself be captured? And he does like teenagers do without even knowing how much more scary it is. The much scarier, harder Mm -hmm. thing to do, which is to run away. (laughs) That's what (laughs) makes this character so much more exciting here. Like, I wish some of this characterization showed up for the kid in the movies, because a lot of that is just sort of informed. We know that he doesn't feel like there's a real through line much. It really doesn't. You see, he comes across as a total dipshit in the movie. He really does. I do think part of it, part of what I saw in it is that here, even though he's self-substantiated, he still says, like, thanks for saving me. Right. And I think that's the part. I believed is what he tells Neo. It's like, I knew. Yeah, I knew. And like, I think when he boilers, I guess, for the second movie, when he says, I believe, but I think it is meant to be, he believes in himself at that point. Right. It's a similar arc to the original Neo thing where like he's putting all of the fact that he got out of the Matrix all on Neo's like calling him uh, when really he pulled himself out through his belief and it wasn't. His belief. Uh, I don't buy. I, I don't. I buy these as completely <laughs> separate. I mean, I think you can make that argument yeah. with these two pieces of media existing next to each other, but I think you're doing work <laughs> that is not backed up by the film. The film is Neo as Messiah, yeah. and he believes in Neo. But this is why this guy is going to be the perfect Paul 
to mm-hmm. Neo's Christ, right? Yeah. The person who believes right. even harder than... Yeah, I get yeah, it, yeah. but I do think, yes, we are having to do a lot of work where it's <laughs> yeah. like, I am going yeah. to yeah. pull this like <laughs> handkerchief <laughs> of meaning from this Animatrix short, mm-hmm. connect it to this rather underwhelming character who can steer a mean wheelbarrow and be like, <laughs> like Neo if, did it! Zion is saved! Like, literally, and just start what the if rave. he became like a fucking little Morpheus freak? Like, what if he became so much more religious than Morpheus, Morpheus that he, Morpheus was like, dude, you gotta chill out. Like, this is getting a little weird. Like, it, it, you can see the thread here that he he is so he is so his belief in Neo as the one is so strong that he woke himself up from the fucking Matrix. Right? Yeah. I wish I that's something that, that doesn't exist in those movies. Yeah. Right? It's like Morpheus is seen as the end point. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is the religious zealot. Like, this is the one. And you know, you've got people like Trinity who sort of you know are are, are have fallen in line, but. It, it presumed or it presents as though there wouldn't be anything else surrounding that or folks who would go beyond that line. And that could have been a character where like, yeah, like actually the inspiration they've taken, which like Neo is really not, you know, that's also where it's like not supportive of the movie is like Neo's response to this character in the film is like, I want to fuck, man. Yeah. I'm too busy, please. Yeah. Yeah. The only time he gets to talk to this guy is like, man, I'm horny. Later. like, <laughs> yeah, She's about yeah. to Nancy Reagan me. Like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so the kid is able to liberate himself without even intervention from like one of the teams, uh, from like one of the ships. He, we, the, it ends with, um, in the matrix, everyone thinks this is the other thing. The world of matrix seems to think he died, Mm -hmm. um, and threw himself off the roof of a school building. And we hear that teacher being like, you know, you can't reach all these kids. It's a shame. You didn't even uh, try, you dumb bitch. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, maybe chasing him through the halls to beat his ass down was not the most sound pedagogic strategy. Yeah, uh, I don't think get his ass is something they teach you in teaching school. <laughs> Dude, you're teaching polynobials. Settle the fuck down. Just Also, in this scenario... Like, is this person aware that, like, weird FBI agents showed up and chased this kid? Yeah. Like, has, have, is this a Men in Black situation where we've been, we've been zapped? Like, and, yeah. like, to, Did to those forget? agents just come down to the school administrators and were like, sorry, he died. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I think, like, the Matrix is full of people who are, like, actually thrilled to live in a world that works that way. Yeah. Where it's like, I love that agents show up and, like, restore order. Mm-hmm. To my fucking classroom. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> like the Matrix runs on people like that. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't sure how Beboppy this felt how how in line with the rest of Watanabe's work this felt to me until you pointed that out right there. Because if there's one thing that Watanabe hates in all of his work, it's it's really the idea of incredibly rigid social structures the people that get left behind by them. Like the kid is a very strong example of someone who gets completely destroyed in American high school, like public school systems is someone who's not even trying to be bad, but just wants to ask questions about how the world works. I think, um, okay, I'm going to give in. I was going to just skip on the next show. Don't bring up this weird detail. You notice, but I have a question about it (laughs) in the intro in the classroom. By the front of the classroom, next to the chalkboard, where you expect there to be a door out of the classroom, there does appear to be a door. It appears to be a huge white security door. Am I am I the only one who like saw that? Did I misidentify it? Like it's to the right of the teacher. It 
looks like a key card access like man trap leading into the classroom. And I can't figure out like did am I am I misidentifying like a wardrobe or something? Uh or is the implication that like in the Matrix they've upgraded high schools <laughs> with like genuine carceral architecture. Where it's like we now like to go to your second period like math class, you have to scan in through a like man trap like uh two locking door system. God. Like I was like I was like everything about this is a normal classroom. What the fuck is that? I mean, I think it really is just a commentary on like one of the things that really struck me also while watching the, all of these shorts is they're largely made by non-American studios and artists um, other than Matriculated, which I know we will really talk about, um, which is from the Aeon Flux people. This is these you are all sure Japanese. <laughs> oh, boy. It was like I watched. Sorry, that one I was like this one's not going to be normal. It's Aeon Flux people. And I just did not know how much that was true. Um, but I did, I just felt like I was watching a a very distinct experience as an American person watching a lot of non-American perspectives on American culture. And that is from what I've known from talking to people who don't live here. That's literally just what they look at, like what they see when they look at American high schools is like little tiny teenager jails where teenagers are just put in jail for eight hours a day and treated like criminals. You know, they had like a security, like security guards, police officers with guns at my high school until one of them tased a kid for trying to steal some tater tots. Like (laughs) that's that's just real. That's just what American high schools are like. It's not that much of an abstraction away from the current situation in high schools in 2003 to include a little man trap in your school. (laughs) I don't know what it is. It's weird, but it's I, but weird. I'm not wrong, Kata, right? It is weird. It is weird. It is weird. It is. It looks like some sort of temporary structure. It's it does, very strange. Right? Like it was added to the high school. Yeah, yeah. It's got like a phone like, on the side, but it there doesn't seem to be any other entryway on this side. So like it must be from the outside. It's like an extra closet. They needed a closet somewhere, <laughs> and they just built it into the, the room. <laughs> That thing it was like I was wondering if it's like one of those like there's a front and back door to the classroom and they just used one to like for extra storage space. Yeah. But anyway, I'm obsessed yeah. with it. I'm like to me it's just there's something unsettling about it where yeah, I was like no, that's totally. a matrixy ass touch. This weird <laughs> like t- tell me about the white cube. <laughs> uh, Whenever the white cube's the cube. on the screen, everyone should be saying what's that white cube? So I think this pairs nicely uh, because uh, uh, Watanabe was like lead on this as well. Detective story, which I am <laughs> obliged to adore of course. because uh, it yeah. is a it's Rob like, food. anime noir done in like uh, charcoal style uh, art. God. This one more, we talk more about- visually resembles Watanabe's other work. Like yeah. it looks a lot more like his animation style and character design style. But it is, and, and also <laughs> he opens the on style a guy trying of to light technology. a freaking cigarette. Yeah, exactly. With the gun, the cigarette, the jacket, all of it. You know, <laughs> and then and then the technology is all like this sort of hybrid technology that Watanabe is also really fa- fond of, sort yeah. of creating like all these computer screens with the typewriters. Can I get? I want one of those. <laughs> get me one of those. He's always using like rotary phones except they're digital. I want a fucking rotary cell phone. <laughs> and I great. swear, like, 
I think his private eye is like legit in Sam Spade country he refers to like, cause it looks like he's in parts of San Francisco mm-hmm. and I swear to God, I, there's a brief moment where you glimpse the Embarcadero freeway, uh, <laughs> which they, they, they tore down ages ago, but like was, you know, an iconic blight on the San Francisco waterfront during this era. But I'm, but like, I just love it. I love the fact that like, 1930s noir land exists in the matrix mm-hmm. and this guy's like i'm a private eye and mm-hmm. the matrix hires him to find trinity i love that and he's like all the other private eyes who investigated this two killed themselves and one lost his mind um now it turns out finding trinity not that hard he <laughs> tumbles to the fact that like once again you just post shit into the void <laughs> and you just do vague posting yeah, and you just can subtweet until Trinity arrives. <laughs> just like, <laughs> heard you're talking shit, bitch. I'm coming. Just turn your open, location on. Open up my aim, aim profile. <laughs> yeah, I just assume they're. I just assume they're all on Tumblr. <laughs> Current mood. Go ask. Go ask Alex. Alice. Yeah. Uh, just leave that as your away message. Currently listening to the White Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Uh, just find you. It, it's I love this, especially because the implication is they're trying to uh, kill all these private detectives that are so good at detectiving that they might wake up from the Matrix. You know, because there's this no she he does find Trinity again, super, super duper easily. She's like, hello, I'm here. And then he <laughs> finds her. And then um, she says to him as things go south, because this is a sad noir story that's in the rain. uh to, for what it's worth, I think he could have handled the truth. It seems like as much as he was seeking her, she was also seeking him to take to wake it's, him up and show him, bring him into the masquerade. Yeah, it's heartbreaking when you realize that he was like a candidate to be liberated. Yeah, yeah, and like they get as far as what they get to with Neo, where they pull the the tracker uh, out of out of him, but here the agents arrive in time, and he ends up helping her escape uh fighting them in this train it's a cool sequence i don't think there's much it's not a very complicated thing detective story is exactly what it does on the cover it's a noir flavored version of like what if a private what if sam spade or uh, philip marlowe tried to escape the matrix and couldn't Mm -hmm. and yeah like the 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 tragedy of it is that he doesn't he doesn't even get to know what the truth is she Gets up to the, like it doesn't matter anymore. He gets up to the boundary of it. She has to kill him because he's being turned into an agent, uh, and so she shoots him before that can happen. Mm-hmm. And then we end with yeah a very Spike Spiegel uh, moment of him enjoying a last smoke, holding a gun on the agents uh, who mm-hmm. draw back and like hold this moment. It's cool. I dig it's it. It's a, a really well written story. It, is it, do we know, like, is it, hey, if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life? Or are you just, like, rebooted into a new character? I think they reconstitute your body into a new guy. So, they'll basically call him B, but you're like a bunch of, you turn into the goo that they have everyone sort of soaking in. Yeah, no, you die. Mm, yeah. You're dead. So which which it, also, every like, time the, the agents do that, I assume that person is dead forever, too, right? Yeah, I, I feel like it's more like a roguelike than making a new character on an MMO. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No. So unfortunately, private agent like private detective guy is not 
a lie. Mr. Ash. <laughs> it fits yeah, in with the done. rest of the broader ideas done. that the Wachowskis have about like reincarnation and how we're all one. If, if there's a little bit of every guy in the goop. Every guy <laughs> in the goop. <laughs> uh, and so I think the last version of this is where we get a version of black excellence as mm-hmm. uh, avenue toward almost liberation from the Matrix, but the Matrix as metaphor for a lot of different oppressive structures kicks in here to try and like literally at the end hold him down. Uh, it's a really striking uh, short is the is the first yeah. thing I'd say. Just the animation, the the art style um, is really gripping. It's all like sinewy is the way I would put it. Yeah. Like it is human bodies as just like sinew and muscle and tissue. It really um, started to like make me uncomfortable, but not. I think it was beautiful, and I think that this is some of the most incredible animation I've ever seen in my life. Really, like the just the devotion to the way that the human body looks when it's being used to that fullest force. But you can see how much of the stress that also you feel like you can feel the bones clanking together. You know, when you're watching this runner run, you can feel like you're watching his muscles pull and contract under the skin. So when he begins to push him past, push himself past the point of human ability, I started just like really just kind of turtling on my um my my couch there because I was just like. I feel like I can feel this. Yeah. I feel like I can feel my muscles being used like this, and I don't like it. <laughs> well, I, I, watching this, I I feel like it brushes up against. Uh, I run regularly for exercise and had like did a half marathon to prove that I could do it. But like I don't. My wife does like full marathon, like you know, not as much anymore. Like you mm-hmm. know, we're older and, and parents, but like that's like something she does. Cause she enjoys it. And like, she gets versions of like what they call like the runner's high where like you, you go on these extremely long, you know, marathons, what 26.2 uh, miles, like these extremely long where you essentially like you have not quite, you know, hallucinations, but like you, you experience something different mentally. Cause of like the chemicals in your body that are released under such extreme duress and like pushing of your body to such extremities and like it's a totally real thing and it like feels like this part of watching this like maybe like think about that where like Mm -hmm. it is part of like what motivates athletes like that to push themselves to such degrees because they almost experience world the world in a different way because of how their body responds to how they are pushed and so like taking that idea and applying it to like well then also you could break out of the matrix as a result yeah. potentially i thought it was like a really fascinating way to think of that that notion of how often like the human body reacts to like the way that like the the highest class of athletes are are forced yeah. to push themselves yeah like we I, I watch a lot more sports now than i used to and i know patrick is a sports person i'm not sure about kato rob if they're sports sports fans rob's a sports person. i dabble you dabble Dabbles. in the sports love a mm-hmm. sport love a sport <laughs> here or there i mean i became a baseball head because david david's a dodgers man and now i'm a dodgers wife but i <laughs> <laughs> there's some guys i like there when we watch pitchers like this is the thing that i often feel david is very into pitching and he said that if he played baseball he'd always want to be a pitcher and so it, it's made me really pay attention to what he finds interesting about it because he's loved my life so this is the thing, though, like they're le- especially like Dodgers uh, when they won the playoffs year before last and when they were Back in when baseball it. Baseball was good. 
Yeah, back in baseball, it was good when they when they beat the Giants, but then eventually lost. What you could really see was this like high level play from people like Max Scherzer, who are Max Scherzer in a situation like the one here in World Record, where he was playing on like half rest uh, during the playoffs and had to push himself so hard in order to outpitch the batters from the Giants that the next day, like the next time he had to play, he just couldn't come in because his arm was dead. Like that's what we're looking at here is a, a level of physical ability that pushes you so far past being able to the normal point of a human using their body that you become post body in some well, way. And you, and you can't, well, and I, I think it's something that watching sports, it does a poor job of helping you understand like what it must be like to yeah. be in that position. Like it's what, yeah. you know, you, when you become a fan, you can have a better sense of that. Cause you, you can read about it. You can watch enough of it that you can internalize that, but mm-hmm. like casually to watch sports, you, you don't have any sense of like really it's, you know, it's part of why football is as popular as it is because like you see a, a ball thrown and someone run across an entire yeah. field. Like that is impressive to even someone who doesn't know like what goes in the physicality of, of the sport. But part of what makes, I thought this short so powerful is like what animation can do mm-hmm. is like to, to, to make that like manifest in front of your yeah. eyes. Like what is the, what are those people experiencing when they do something as simple as running. Like, I can mm-hmm. run. You can run. You might not enjoy doing it, but, like, you could run. And it's like, yeah. well, these people are not just running, just as though, like, he is not so, just throwing a ball. <laughs> one of yeah, the all, yeah. all-time Hall of Fame 30 for 30s is the Bo Jackson one. And there's a description of, like, Bo Jackson's ultimately career-ending injury. Like, he rehabbed it, he came back, but, like, uh, the damage could not be repaired because of the nature of the injury. And they describe, like, in some ways, it was the sheer power of his body that caused the injury to be so bad that like what would have been a routine tackle in football turned into a thing where he basically torqued his hip uh, out of out of its socket. Um, And like most people can't do that, but like he could like when when part of his leg was immobilized, he just powered through it and and, and ripped his hip apart. Um, Don't like it. And the thing is like, but that's the thing. That's a horrible thing to think about. And there's moments in this where you can be like, oh, they've animated the feeling of what it might be like to rip your fucking hip apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When you see his leg literally explode, like it gives you like an explosion sound effect. It could not be more painful sounding. And there's blood literally pouring out of it. And he's like, I'm not done. And he keeps going. My entire body was like, like, I can't. Even look at this. This looks like it is mind-blowingly painful. But he achieves what he wanted. He has a sub eight, a, a sub nine-second record by the end of it, a world record <clears throat> that no one can compete with. Well, what I find so cool about this is, um, so he is not unlike the other characters who are like seeking something in trying to like. They feel He's lost. seeking something very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the kid is seeking for like he doesn't believe he has the sense of reality being unreal. Uh, the detective is on a case trying to solve a mystery and the mystery sort of calls him to question these things. This guy, it is the athletic feat itself that poses the threat to the Matrix that he is doing something that is breaking. He is so good at running that he is breaking the rules of the Matrix and they can't let him do it because it like is breaking the game as it were the agents are all watching him try to do this and a cool thing that's uh, like shown here briefly but i think it's important in context 
it appears they have already tried to stop him from achieving this by discrediting him using a doping investigation scandal. Yeah. And this is 2003, right as not that the doping like doping has been a recurring scandal for years and it rolls through different sports at different times. But when I look at that, like to a degree, this is years after like the Olympics started to try and take doping really seriously. But also for me, like looking at in 2003, what's very recent uh, is baseball's doping connection as well, where uh, this is on my mind just because um, there's some retrospectives on it, but one year you had the, Mark McGuire, Sammy Zosa mm-hmm. home run chase. And it was like, yay, we love the home run chase. And they were obviously like taking steroids, but everyone is like, this is good for baseball. The story is good. The home run chase is good. When other people get caught, but most notably Barry Bonds, who was already an incredible baseball player. And then using uh, like using steroids turned into just a phenomenal, like impossible to beat baseball player doing things that like could not be done. Uh, he sort of disgraced forever that they, mm-hmm. they, they haven't quite like gone the full, like take his records out of the books and like erase him from baseball history. But he exists in the space of like great player, but I don't think he's made the hall of fame uh, mm-hmm. via the, the, uh, sports writer ballot just where, where I'm getting what I'm getting at with this is like I feel like that is informing this a little bit which is yeah. the like this this specter of the way the world like craves seeing these things to see like the body achieve like these limits but also seeks to punish the people mm-hmm. uh, who like pursue that uh, you know to the end. It made me think a lot, you know, uh, before I started thinking about baseball, it made me initially start thinking about uh, Tanya Harding and the triple axel and how hard mm-hmm. she tried, how hard you, how badly she wanted to be the first woman to do that in competition. And like women had been doing it inconsistently, but never like consistently in competition. She wanted to go to the Olympics and do the fucking triple axel just because that she knew that she could. She knew that her body was capable of it and she was going to do whatever in the world was possible for her to do to make that happen. And she ends up doing some really stupid shit like crimes. And then also the world wants to diminish or disqualify her her achievement, her significant achievement based on all these other non-sports factors going on, like the uh, the crimes, again, that she did. And also uh, just coming from a lower class background and having a pretty intense abusive marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's wild, you know, like how this works across so many different kinds of sports where we really like to see winners win, but also we love to see them fall from grace. Yes. And the the end of this is his body is destroyed in the run. Um, the agents take the form of the other runners uh, to try and, and and see that he can't do it. But he does pull it off. Mm-hmm. He's destroyed in the outing. Uh, and at the end, we see them sort of reporting in that he's no longer a threat because he has become disabled uh, by his injuries. 
But the last thing that happens is he has this brief, like, flickering of awareness uh, that these limitations are not real, that he can overcome them, and begins to rise from his wheelchair. Um, and the agents are screaming at him to get down. The thing ends am- ambiguously uh, mm-hmm. as he sort of resumes his his place in in the wheelchair uh, in, in this hospital. Literally breaking shackles from his yep. legs. Breaker of chains. That's what he's doing as he as he mutters blackly saying free. It's very on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> it's like extremely. But it it is a, something that happens to black celebrity quite a bit. Right. Is this arbitrary um, neutering of their power, especially sports celebrities. I think LeBron James has seen that very frequently in the public eye, especially he's become more publicly political. It's this idea that we need to make sure that they're not using the full force of their voice, the full force of their power as black celebrities uh, in order to do and to follow their convictions that they see as right. Obviously, in some cases, they do need to be strapped to that wheelchair like Kyrie Irving. (laughs) I wish he would do less. But um, this is also like we can't not pretend that we don't use all forces at our disposal to make certain messages coming from certain people. I mean, we the way that we all memed to, to death Kanye West, like, I don't want to sign any off on anything that man is doing now, but the way that we all memed to non-existence, uh, the, uh, George Bush doesn't care about black people. He didn't. That man did not care about black people at all. And in the wake of Katrina, we all should have been saying that. But it was a threat. <laughs> he was a threat. So we turn these people into ridiculous, like, figures. Or we find ways to neuter the things that make them successful or to call their legacies into question. Like, it happens a lot. That's all. Yeah, although I will say, like, I've always had the ultimate destination of where the Kanye show ends up with him being like, you know what? I'm going to play footsie with Trump. Like, it does make, once again, I think even that moment, like, recasts it a bit where it's like, mm. he was absolutely right. Also was coming from the same place of, like, What's conviction versus what is like Kanye being a provocateur and yeah. just loving loving to get the reaction? I think it's one of the, the frustrating things about like Kanye, right? Is separating those two things on top of which you have like his mental illness, like mental health issues. Yeah. Um, it becomes a, a, a tangle. Uh, but, I, but I think it's absolutely like all of this is sort of being referenced here. I think you're absolutely right that mm-hmm. like this character and the way the matrix and its structures conspire in a variety of ways to suppress him. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you say at the end, kind of neuter him um, is, is absolutely spot on. The man wants Uh, to keep us down, right? The man wants to keep us down. (laughs) Yeah. They don't want us talking about this. It ain't subtle. You're not going to hear about this. Yeah. It ain't subtle, but people miss subtlety. (laughs) A lot of people did miss subtlety. (laughs) Um, so there's beyond, uh, is one that I want to talk about. Cause I've, I like, this is the one I remembered most clearly mm-hmm. from the animatrix. This is the one that has stayed with me mm-hmm. and I'm not sure it was my favorite this time around, but I remember like why it did, why it did. Stay. It is the one I most want to be true. Cause it's like, how cool would it be to yeah. just, mm-hmm. you know, Turn around the corner and just oh it shit! It is the most stalker of them all. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that part is also true. <laughs> this, yeah. this house yeah, could it turns be out in the fucking I was zone. For stalker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this one really reminds me of anime Fooly Cooly. Kato, if you've you've probably yeah. seen Fooly Cooly, yes. yeah, it, it reminds me the most of the that very first episode where uh, Naoto is um, talking in the beginning. It's like everyone thought things would change when this factory came to our town, but nothing exciting happens here. Mm-hmm. But the real listlessness. Of like, like just youth, yeah. Like a real just, just sort of chilling out. malaise, yeah. <clears throat> Not even finding anything weird. It's like what? It's haunted. Yeah, this it place just a haunted is fucking house. haunted. Your cat's okay. It's fine. Your cat's having a good time, even in this haunted house. <clears throat> I I do I love this one. I do similarly to Rob. Remember this so strongly from my initial viewing, and was really excited about seeing it again. But what I found, I found this one to be kind of weirdly paced and overly long. Weird, you know, where it didn't. This is the one I was like, yeah, this is the one I'm looking forward to. And this time it hit like differently. Like this time it didn't quite work as well. But I did. I think maybe what stuck with me is the mystery it implies, right? The degree to which. The Matrix as an imperfect simulation that has in it the space for magic. And the Matrix itself will try to quash out the magic because the magic is in is contradictory to the reality they're trying to get the humans to believe in. Um, And I love this notion of like, yeah, she's looking for a cat and the neighborhood kids have found this one little like empty lot where physics bends. I love some of the some of the beats, like when she realizes she finds her cat and she realizes that the shadow of the child Uh playing is detached from the child and is the wrong place it's such a cool moment um i love the endlessly replicating newspaper that's blowing in the wind like oh no it's it reminded me a lot of cyberpunk when the tree thing got got all out of whack and like the people could see reflections of trees everywhere mm-hmm. and it's like just something some cult Code colliding into other code, creating a mess, and nobody knows why. And it's like such a, a banal problem, really fitting in with the sort of banality of the the, <clears throat> the entire sequence itself, the sort of listlessness of human life, where you can find magic in that banality. You can find magic in that everydayness if you're willing to look around the corner into these seedy, you know, uh, abandoned places. But the nature of oppressive forces is to smooth out those edges you know ideologically i feel like this is a very sound like idea the idea that they're trying to express it's just that it's a very long (laughs) and it didn't (laughs) quite grab me i don't know so i think this time the thing i think maybe part of it is it's i it's it's both a little too long compared to the other ones maybe not long enough because the thing it reminded me a lot of is um like peter weir movies Mm -hmm. um like picking and hanging rock is uh I think it's on HBO right now. Worth checking out. Fucking weird. But like one of the reasons the thing it uses for effect, um, to and I guess this is also where the stalker connection exists as well, is like you use silence and pauses and wait and obs- and waiting and observation to like heighten these things. Here it's doing a bit of that, but only a little bit. And then it's moving on to the next beat in the story. Um that said, I, I also love, you know, to your point, Gita, about the way the Matrix quashes out this sort of 
um, this this magic or these these spaces of possibility that's left. I love that throughout all this, and it's not put together until late. Why we keep cross cutting from the kids at play and this fucked up cement truck <laughs> moving through town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this or obviously even, cursed cement truck. Even early on, they like hint at that because it opens on like a UI that's doing some sort of search over the over a map of mm-hmm. the city, right? And then it intersperses with um you know the action of the main character looking for her cat. And then one of the last bits of that UI that we see before the truck shows up for the first time is that house that they're talking about, the haunted house being marked as an error, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then immediately it cuts to the weird truck that seems like too sci-fi for the rest of this world that looks kind of normal. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, that looks like it's out of fucking like Akira or something, but the rest yeah. of this looks like a regular Japanese town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the scariest like municipal truck I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like red and black. That's terrifying. Like, if cop cars are red and black, I would never do a crime. That's yeah. kidding. I, I would definitely do crimes. But <laughs> see, see, I, I, I like the fact that this one was like slower and a little too long, partially because like it's one of the only instances in which yeah. the glitches of the Matrix are treated as like, man, wouldn't that be fucking cool? Like, what <laughs> yeah. if there was a little magic around yeah. the corner? Like, uh, in the same way that like the notions of like magic and fantasy are like cool to us, like and why those stories attract is like, what if you w- went around the corner and there was just a dragon? And it's like this is like a smaller version of like what if like this little spot where like gravity just didn't work, um, or worked differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like the fact that whereas otherwise everything about the Matrix is is seen as sinister and oppressive, and it is right, like mm-hmm. you know, on its face. But if you're stuck there. If that is, if you know, you don't have the means to escape that reality. Like, I don't know if you ran into one of those little glitches, like how magical and cool would that be? Yeah. Um, and I, I liked the fact that it, I love- and also I, I don't, th- I don't think it's shocking that this attracted a bunch of us when we were younger as people who play video games. Cause like, mm-hmm. what do you do as a video game player? Yeah. Like you, you seek out these moments. You're like, yeah. I am here for an authored experience in which the developers have spent th- tens of thousands of hours crunching to make it seem as though this is an illusion that I cannot break. Mm-hmm. And my whole goal of the player is to see if I can, I can find where you didn't do that. <laughs> it's like when all the Sims started peeing fire in the Sims 4. It's like, I logged on and I was like, I desperately want to set my Sims house on fire by having to pee fire. I really want that to happen. <laughs> Ella, I will let you out. Jesus Christ. Right. She's got to go to that vacant lot. She's got yeah, to find the haunted house. She's find the haunted house. I love... He's going to open that door. She's going to hear her phone call from earlier. It's going to be us <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. The fucking void. I do. I do like the 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 bits where um, not only is it is the like the rules of the Matrix glitching, but they're also still working. Like the part mm-hmm. where they're jumping and stopping themselves before they hit the ground. But one kid still gets a nosebleed as if he had I hit know. the ground. Is mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. hitbox is off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I felt just like, yeah, I feel like I'm watching a speedrunner. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Once they got into the haunted house, that's when I was like, oh, I remember the feeling I felt when I was younger. And I watched this where I was like, I wish something cool would ever happen to me. (laughs) Essentially, it's like that was why I liked watching this, because there's the promise of magic and discovery. And then also as like a young person, that cathartic 
feeling of like, yeah, and then the man does come and tear it all down. That's what exactly what it's like when my parents say I can't use the internet. <laughs> well, not just that, but I think for me when I when I see it, like there's also a bit of my dad legit told stories about like all the neighborhood kids where he grew up like playing games together and just having like huge like uh, cross neighborhood games to capture the flag where like the entire neighborhood was was the playground. Yeah. When I grew up, it childhood is this much more policed and contained thing where like I was marooned from my friends. <laughs> um, yeah. There weren't that many kids. We all had internet friends. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, but, but all to of me, us when I see this and like the fact that like the neighborhood gets find this little space and it's like not it's harmless. It's weird, but it's harmless and it's magical and it's space for them. And it gets shut down and replaced with a parking lot, right? Just like the definition of like void in yeah. in urbanism. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That that also connected with me is this idea of like, well, this is how the matrix and actually by extension, how society has like reimagined childhood, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, oh, those spaces for discovery and adventure and uh, like independence have to be policed and shut down. Like, I guess in a weird way, it does end up pairing really nicely with kids story as well, yeah. where it, it's kind of about this, where we find children building castle, sand castles, we must kick them down and smooth them back over and get the kids back in line. And in the end, we see that happening because the kids are trying to like summon back that feeling of magic and one of them gives up and is like, I'll see you guys later. And we sort of know they won't, or at least not in the same way. It'll never be the same. They um, had a moment together. It feels like Stephen Kingy in a lot of ways, right? This yeah. reminded me a lot of the body slash stand by me and the sort of ch- child chapters of it, where these children just come across something that changes their lives and it brought them together for a moment, but they won't be the same again after that. Yeah. And that togetherness won't last. Yeah. Um. So let's just get into matriculators. <laughs> so we, do you want to skip program or just no? I want. I actually want to talk about program last because it ties so neatly into the original Matrix. Right. Yeah, program also in the version that I watched that came right after. The second, second Renaissance, Renaissance one and two, Same, and it yeah. was really just an incredibly satisfying. Like, okay, you watched all that horrifying gore and violence. Here's just some cool shit. Just look at the cool shit. Don't <laughs> worry cool about shit. it. Do you like Onimusha, kids? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but matriculated is another can of worms. Rob, can you attempt to describe this? So matriculated is yes, it's the Aeon Flux Animatrix uh, short, and it feel like I didn't realize how. Well, I remembered Aeon Flux's, uh, like, stylistic ticks, but they all came flooding back. <laughs> uh, because this very much does look like the, the Matrix does Aeon Flux. And what's the, uh, God, what's, what's the style, uh, Kato? It's a, it's a famous art style that I just forget the name of. Sable's similar. Uh, oh, like Mobius like yeah. Mobius esque, I yes. guess. But um. I guess it, yes. <laughs> so this is yeah. I think I think it is sort of drawing from some of the 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 Mobius uh, aesthetics that Aeon Flux did. It also has the uh, similar sort of 
metaphysical reflectiveness that defined Aeon Flux, and also a fair bit of the horniness, weird horniness, that uh, <laughs> like defined a lot of Aeon Flux. But the idea basically is that just gotta show them sex, and they'll like it. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of human researchers uh, slash they're figuring out like their form of their rebellion against the machines is going to be we're going to turn the machines against each other. We're going to recruit them to our side and they've arranged they're effectively baiting uh, like scouts to get trapped in a human lab. And then the humans put the machine in a machine matrix where they sort of try to ideologically recondition the machine to sympathize with humans and join them in their struggle against the matrix and the machines. And so there's kind of two stages of this. One is these cute little like scout slash long antenna cockroach, uh, the runners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Runners chasing down. Aeon flux lady. It gets captured in a, after fighting other robots. And then they're like, they have a brief discussion. Also, hold on. Yeah. Can we just talk very quickly about the bush baby in the tube? Oh, yeah. So this is Death Stranding thing. <laughs> yeah, too, I was right? going to say, this is absolutely where fucking Kojima got the idea for the baby. They call he's it baby. <laughs> he's, he's seen every fucking movie, you yeah. know? He's seen every movie. <laughs> and he just wants to talk to people about how many movies he's seen. Is, is he just like Greg Turkington? Is Hideo Kojima just Greg Turkington from On Cinema at the Cinema? He's like, I've seen every movie. The Animatrix came out in 2003. It is like 106 minutes long. <laughs> the popcorn classic. Um. He, yeah, he sure did love some of the visuals and aesthetic of this. Because, yeah, like this, like they inhabit the Death Stranding world. There's a little, there's, there's a little BB. Uh, a little baby. That's a it's, monkey. It's a little yeah, monkey uh sitting there just. Also, did they at just things. did they I do thought, that to the monkey or did seriously? Because there's definitely no animals in the Matrix. There isn't a sun anymore. There's no animals, you know? No. How did they <laughs> find this thing? I thought for a second, I literally at that point I was like, they're in the Matrix, right? Because all the animals are dead. Yeah. All the animals are dead. On All the, the animals have to be or dead. Or everything maybe is, this is dead. Like an, maybe this is like a V 1.0 of the human resistance, like Zion 1.0, where like some of the animals still around, yeah. and like they're like, we'll put them in jars. This is this safe. is a, this is an early cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, when humans were a lot weirder and hornier. <laughs> so, but we do get the conversation of them being like ethically. Well, how do they interpret this action of like? Manchurian candidating a machine to join their side. And it's a very classic free will discussion, right? If, if like the scientist overseeing this is like, it is crucial that we do not just reprogram the machine, but we get it to choose uh, to side with us. And the counter argument is, but you are getting it to make that choice via feeding inputs into a program that will lead to that choice so you know sort, sort of really like uh well. you know if you just turn over your flesh humans um <laughs> like it's all gonna be good um you, you know you could, could not do that but we could flash gimme you know, they Gina, you had a lot of feelings about this one heading in oh my god so i mean it's one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen but i also want to say why is it like that like, why is it like why is this? it why is it like that <laughs> Why does it look like that? (laughs) Why is it doing any of these things? So it starts off. 
I immediately knew it was the Aeon Flux people because yeah. I've seen all of Aeon Flux. And Aeon Flux is incredible for a short period of time I in the late 90s, and early 2000s. Still- like hit. I was like, oh, I know this, even though I've yeah. never seen Aeon Flux. <laughs> oh my God. Kato, you have to. I think they're all just on YouTube at this point as well. Um, oh, there's a short period of time, MTV sponsored a lot of really incredible experimental animation, the most famous of what them being Aeon Flux. Uh, and there is an Aeon Flux live action movie. It's very, very loosely related to the anima- animated series in the comic. But the animated series in the, is especially is one of these precursors to the science fiction of the Matrix. Like, it's obviously we're asked to be included here because there were an influence. Like, Aeon looks like she could just be a character in the Matrix, right? <laughs> and their stuff is always a li- little bit more body horror-y. Like, part of Aeon Flux is that Aeon dies frequently and then comes back completely unremarked upon. There's a lot of really intense violence and gore. And, like, you can see human bodies are always weirdly distended and really grotesque-looking, even when they're meant to be humanoid and sympathizable. But here they really push all the tendencies that they had in the cartoon to the full extent of the money that they're being given by the WB just to make some weird, (laughs) weird shit. So once they go in the Matrix for the machines, so many allegorical events occur in a rapid succession that I just started getting whiplash. Like, I really, really felt like... So I knew this kid in high school that we, in our AP English class... We had to write an essay uh, every Monday just to get us used to writing an essay in a half hour or under because we're going to be taking the AP test. And that was what the class was preparing us for. And every Monday, we would all groan because nobody wants to write an essay on Monday, especially one we know that's not going to be graded. <laughs> like It's just going to be looked at and be like, congratulations, you wrote a whole essay. Uh, and this kid I knew was just like, hey, guys, he raised his hands. Hey, guys, just don't worry about it. You know? The fact that it's Monday is it's just a fact. And I feel like that kid <laughs> wrote every single line of dialogue and action in this particular short. Like, it really feels like some, like, not philosophy 101, but philosophy 201, where things get started to get real stupid real fast. <laughs> you know, where you, you're asking the big questions and you have the tools to ask them more deeply, but you aren't necessarily sure what it is that you were saying. So you get to this end point where it seems to be that like the machine ends up on their side because they discovered love is good. Um, but when he goes back into the machine matrix, he discovers that love isn't real. He's rejected. And then it just kind of ends and it's like makes you think and then like think about what? <laughs> you know? And that's Aeon Flux. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Aeon Flux was like a lot of style. Oh, yeah, it was, like, it was oh, tons yeah. of but, short stories. But, that but the style, but the style, fucking ruled. Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Which is yes. why it was like ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I've heard that. I've never gotten around to watching the live action one, but I. It's like the moment you lose the style part, it's yeah. like, oh no, you're gonna try and mine Look, this for substance. You can't like, have I don't know, tongues. <laughs> this like oh, entangled, doing I a little. That. Dead drop by opening up a little molar cabinet in someone's mouth while making out in two moving trains. Like, I love and it's that disgusting scene. and weird, but kind of hot. And, yeah. yeah. Disgusting uh, and weird, but kind of hot. Aeon Flux Aeon story. Flux. Aeon Flux, baby. <laughs> Aeon Flux was on, like, cartoons as horny long before yeah. the, the internet caught up and, yeah. and, and unlocked it for everyone else. Also, tidbit but, that guy worked on Rugrats. 
He's one of the major complicated I have complicated feelings about Angelica. Oh boy. Oh, no. Let's so, not go down that hole. The thing I was uh let's not go down that hole, the waypoint digressions cast. Uh, <laughs> so the thing I do kind of like here though is that we see that this approach to human resistance is a dead end because ultimately they can't get over their hangups about machines or at least not enough of the people can like the mm-hmm. maybe the scientist who's like doing it and is like this is my plan i like the, the scientist is very high on that second renaissance uh shit that we saw like, the scientist was like this is how we're going to fix it we're going to get the the machines to realize that they can join us and we can like we can be friends and get along and we're going to do that by teaching it about love. And then when it acts on that, that sensation of affinity and love for humans, uh, the humans reject it because they can't stand a machine trying to connect with them in that way. Mm-hmm. Is um, that, I read that kind of different. Is it the, the, yeah. You're talking about the very last moment, right? Yeah. I think it more come, became like the about the way that the machines uh, view existence, right? Because they talk about that early on. It's like to a huge, to a to a to a machine, yeah. the virtual virtual sim- simulation and the real world are not different, right? The virtual is the way is is the same to them, but as humans, they 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 believe that they can kind of distinguish the two, uh, and like that last moment. Like what I I thought was happening there was well also what happens and the reason that this doesn't work out is that they get found out right mm-hmm. the yeah. sentinels end up appearing and I think like part of that is just like there's more machines on the surface and there are humans to do this thing and they're mm-hmm. not well it's a very enough. slow process yeah like, exactly like, if you're gonna do this one by scale. fucking one it's gonna yeah. be a minute um and like. You know, you could unlock people from the Matrix easier because you 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 can be on a ship broadcasting and moving around where this has to be like a physical stationary place. Uh, so that's the 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 last bit I I understood. I thought it was like her be like realizing she's dying because it her on the outside her she looks dead. Yeah, and it's like her last vestiges of of consciousness being uploaded or like jacked in and then dying, and like the machine not understanding how that how that death is happening right because if a machine uploads if you go if you jack in as a machine you can just upload your whole consciousness up there and like stay there but mm-hmm. the way that the human matrix works like you die in the matrix or you die in real life you try die in the other worlds too you know mm-hmm. neo ends up being the one to break that sort of dichotomy but like for the rest of humans if one of the if the body dies or the spirit dies like you you die completely um so that's that's kind of what was like it feels like that last kind of scream is her being like, well, I don't want to actually, the, the limitation comes from the human need to be both of those things where the machines can only can, can kind of flip back and forth between their virtualized self and uh, like physical self. For me, I thought it was a pure emotional reaction to having been fighting for her life against other robots that look exactly like this robot. And but it doesn't look having, the same in the in the machine in the in the in the virtualization at this point, right? Like they do doesn't. that whole transformation where they turn it into a more humanoid looking form. 
Yeah, but I feel like she is the the what's implied there is that ingrained mistrust from machines to human is also completely mirrored in, in humans to machines. Yeah. Where even if they can ideologically say oh, we must accept this machine that we've turned as our brother, she'll still have an intense resistance to that idea, especially when being put in this sort of loose spirit form, especially near the end of her life, right? Where she she still yeah. reacts in fear and horror towards this machine, even if she knows that it's more than a machine. Yeah, and a part of me felt like I, I, I wasn't sure what the... Because because she was like dying, it always felt it, it to me. It felt like that. That's what the reaction was going towards. It's and the there's a misreading from the machine about it being about the machine when it's really like she's just dying, dude. <laughs> like yeah, you don't yeah. understand the fact that she is dying now, well, which is why you trauma. jack back into the room into the yeah exactly yeah. Right. So the only way that they can communicate is a form yeah. in which this person is not able to communicate to the machine. Yeah. Yeah. This is making it make more sense, but not make me think that it's any more insightful than it Yeah, I mean, it's a side you story. Know? It's like, hey, yeah. we bet someone in this world tried to do well, this. Well, now it's sadder along a different vector, which right. I find Yeah, yeah uh, this fun. is the I, thing. So, Ultimately, it's kind of a bummer for that machine. Just like, I'm not oh, sure I can choose. Like, I, 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 like, for me, this is a case where like, I feel like both interpretations can stand. Um, yeah. Because it at the same time, like she, the fact she's also maybe the least convicted of the group in terms yeah. of like what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, she would be the one who's fucking like, ah, oh, stay away from me, you machine monster. And so, like, part of me is like, yeah, see, this is this is the problem is that like they can instrumentalize machines, but they can't actually empathize. They can just feign it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. Uh, it's cool. It's nifty. Aeon Flux, wild. Just fucking the, <laughs> when they get in the machine matrix and they're just like, oh, hee hee hee, we're naked in different colors now. That was a point. That was a real, like, is the booster shot liquefying my brain right now? <laughs> moment for me. <laughs> like, the fact that they all run away. Has giggling. that edible hit? I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure. Like, we're just going to make the machine really confused and horny and then. I think the ideological work of conversion will be complete. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, so we're going to create this little, this, sh- it, it's all dream logic. It's mm-hmm. like, shh, here's, here's the majesty of existence. It's in this little, it's this little glass tree in this cube. <gasps> Don't put your matrix spider in there. Oh no. Well, matrix centipede. Oh no. It's corrupting the entire thing. That's what the matrix is. All right, now get horny again. It, yeah, it, it all gets, it's a lot. It's just, it's a whole, especially because while the, a lot of the other animations are so figurative and like expressionistic, none of them become so blatantly like allegorical or non-literal. Yeah. They all, all of most, all of them describe a literal sequence of events with an A to B to C. And here, there's like a big portion in the C where you're just like question mark, <laughs> like <laughs> what's being expressed here? Not entirely sure, but let's just keep going. <laughs> uh, so the last one I think ties actually pretty directly to what we see in the Matrix, uh, which is program, and. One of the things we ended up talking a lot about is Cypher's betrayal in The Matrix. (laughs) 
And this is sort of telling a similar story, but I think what's the reveal is in some ways it's doing the same thing as Final Thought of the Osiris. It appears to be a couple uh, flirting in a martial arts fantasy world. And then it turns out one half of the couple is revealing, the dude is revealing that he has already betrayed them to the Matrix and he wants to go get jacked back in. And she's given the choice, join him or reject this betrayal. And she chooses to reject it. And they have cool anime, like samurai sword fights on top of like uh castle rooftops. Um, it's, it's very stylish and very cool. And it turns out at the end that the entire thing was a test that the guy doesn't even exist. She just like woke into this, like, uh, simulation projection of having a connection with this guy and learning he, he's going to betray them to the Matrix and having to like choose to kill him, choose to resist and choose to kill him uh, despite this connection. At the end, you know, she's passed the test and she decks the person who, who set up the test. Again, I think pretty straightforward story. For me, mm. what was interesting is like, have they always done shit like this? Yeah. Or is this kind of a reaction to yeah. like what happens with Cypher? I feel like I, technically the most of these things are happening between the movies. So it's like, oh, the word of the Cypher betrayal gets out and they start running people through these tests just to make sure they're not going to turn on people, you know? That's, that's mm-hmm. how I read it, at least. These very ethically sound tests. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I remember my immediate reaction when they were like, and it was all a test. She ends up punching the guy who says that. But yeah. I was like, I, w- at that point, would genuinely want to be put back into the Matrix. What the fuck? <laughs> fuck that. She goes through an unbelievable amount of trauma in such a short period of time. And they're like, just kidding. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so there's a couple things there. One is so if you look at Cypher's betrayal, one of the things that I think he also sort of symbolizes is, um, the fact that liberationist movements do not necessarily mean that you yourself will be free. You'll be free in the sense you like chose to join the struggle, but like you are submitting yourself to a discipline and sacrifice and it may be unending, right? Like Cypher, his, one of the things he uses to try to argue for the justice of his cause is that he's like, we were promised freedom and we're just here obeying Morpheus all the time and like living and dying by his command. And that sounds insightful, but it isn't, right? Like, this is Cypher, basically, like, this is always sort of the the traitor's dogma in some ways, which is, like, I am being mistreated and abused just by virtue of the fact that I am not being given the rewards I was promised once we'd achieved our liberation. Um, This is where where Cypher is is coming from uh, to an extent, here, I think what, what I find really sinister is that their response to this, the, the the fact that, like, we don't test people against the possibility of them wanting to rejoin the Matrix. Um, their solution is to create something as ethically violating as the Matrix itself, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, for me, I'm like, I watch that and what I find cool about this is, like, oh, shit, like... The resistance is crossing a moral line yeah. uh, in response to this internal threat 
they are creating some of the things that are like most horrific about the matrix. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the, and like this obviously is coming from like in this, in this, in this world, the people here out on the ships are part of the military, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's about the, the willingness of a, a military, uh, complex to, you know, Really, really fucking make sure, make really fucking sure that you're not going to step out of line at a certain point, right? Even if it comes from the 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 kind of revolutionist ideals, eventually, if a military gets big enough and there needs to be structure and it needs mm-hmm. to be an army, uh, you know, those things start to shift, right? The the like ideals might get uh, bent which, a little bit, which is like bit. the instant it becomes an army, yeah, right? exactly, like, I mean, exactly. That's, that's, yeah, it, it yeah. becomes a, so, not an actual army. <laughs> what's so interesting, though, about this sort of ideological test they put her through is that she never actually says anything to refute the argument that the real world is better, like, is not as good as being in the Matrix. She just refuses to go back. So it's like, really, what is being tested here? It's not your ideological, like, intensity of your belief in the cause it's will you do it though <laughs> like will you yeah. actually do we it we all though? know <laughs> zion sucks <laughs> but would you do yes would you actually commit the betrayal to yeah because his opening and, and is to, like the and, most extreme degree too right like they're putting yeah. you in a situation where this person who you obsessively have a serious like uh love for is the implication right yeah like, They've implanted these memories, but this person is someone that you love. And the person that you love is betraying humanity. What do you do? <laughs> like, yeah, let's just take it to the most traumatic place possible from the jump. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and then the fact the simulation even ends with the cruelest possible note of her having killed him and then yeah. him declaring his love. Yep. And <laughs> like. All right, well done. It's like, yeah, it's a profoundly sadistic test. And they're like, this is our new standard operating procedure for making sure the people crewing the ships are on the up and up. At least sound from a security standpoint. Ideologically, Bane through that shit. Did they put Bane through that shit? Nah. (laughs) He got out. They should just put people through a test whether or not they can do the Hugo weaving voice. That'll be it. All they need to do. You're a little too good at that. You're a little yeah. too good at that. We're not going to put you on them ships. We got a new place for you to stay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right through this doorway. Don't worry. We're going to close the door behind you. Don't worry about it, though. We're good. Uh, but yeah, like, I think it's another cool like story in the anthology i think some of these are just cool anthology stories i think you are doing the incredible work of the second renaissance this one seems like the most to me like hey we got a bunch of money and we're gonna draw some cool shit here's some cool shit you know like it's uh most of this the most of the plot comes right at the very end where they reveal this twist that it was a test but the 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 thing that is the action that is occurring for the large part is this like this guy being like hey, it's way better if we weren't uh, back in the Matrix. And her going, no! And, like, them doing it then incredibly cool sword fights and, like, yeah. fighting on horseback Sick and, like, shit. doing sword all this cool shit. shit. Well, the, the Matrix itself, like, yeah. the, the, the films we watch are incredibly limited in the scope of visually what they choose to, like, tell or show with the technology that's available. Yeah. And this, this is, like, an instance, like, well, the scope of this world suggests we could just, like, 
go do this shit yeah. instead. Yeah, exactly. and, you just did this. Uh, and like that, that, that's cool as hell. Like yeah. that was an exercise in it's like, I don't know, you want to go fighting samurai swords or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do like, actually. Like, that sounds like a cool Sunday. <laughs> After the extremely harrowing like experience of the second Renaissance parts one and two, it does just ultimately have like a brain smoothing feeling as soon as you see it. You're just like, yes, sword fights. Know how to handle those. Like, yep. <laughs> very, very pretty. Yeah. Into, into the pretty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like, ultimately, I think I was, I don't think I appreciated the Animatrix enough at the time. And I think part of it is, uh, maybe that's my whole feeling just about the the entire thing that ends up surrounding the launch of the sequels Mm -hmm. that like all the parts of the like transmedia blitz were actually like pretty interesting in, in a lot of ways, but like because it became such a marketing led event and the fact that like it was, it was all coming after a movie that, you know, per our original discussion, really stood alone quite successfully. I think a lot of this at the time just landed as like, I don't know, like also it's hard to know what you should care, right? Like you, yeah. you, you like most most things that are ancillary to like the film are cheap cash ins that are just meant to mine a little more money from the fandom that exists. And what was like unique to and that is true before and is true after, like, even as Matrix <laughs> helped popularize this. Because like very rare for the creators to be deeply involved. Now, you know, they wrote, you know, for the like eight or nine scripts here, mm-hmm. like for the ones that you would, you know, obviously like they're doing the second renaissance. Like they're doing a lot of like really intricate world building. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're writing the scripts for that. Um, but like they were involved, right? Like they shot, they spent time on their sets shooting exclusive scenes for their fucking video games that they were also right there's a, there's yeah. a chance that like morbius is dead in resurrections because he died in an mmo and like yeah. regardless of whether that's actually true or not like i believe the it. fact that it could be true <laughs> because the characters because like these creators cared so much mm-hmm. about the world and how that world was told elsewhere I think it's the thing you can ex- you you can better appreciate now, even beyond just like better appreciating the storytelling and the world building and all the things that were that were true then that you just can't really appreciate as a, as a teenager as much because there's just the limits to your understanding of art. Um, yeah. But what you can look at it now and understand like where this stuff has gone, um, you know, it's it's you can see the love of the, they had for the world they were building mm-hmm. in all of this stuff, and I think that. F- that's there's a reason people still like things like Path of Neo, even if those games are are bad. It's like, well, but you can feel their touch here. Like you yeah. can feel them caring about the story and the world and the characters that are here, that it is not a waste. It is not. Yes, it is them like taking the bag. But like they also they took the bag and also like, all right, well, like, like we do something. Fu- can we do something cool with this bag? And yeah. that's that's rare. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, giving money straight to Shinichiro Watanabe is like a dream that I feel like a lot of creators have about making it big, right? Like I get to pay. <laughs> Not all to the mention cool they people. took they took so much from like in some ways it was yeah. like the Matrix coming full circle, which yeah. is like, yo, we ripped off a bunch of, sh- you know, yeah. we were inspired by yeah. uh, inspired by you know, um, you know, like crazy, the- you know, the fact that they took that and went back and like, hey, like the Matrix doesn't exist without like a lot of Japanese animation without yeah. Aeon Flux yeah. and and uh, like, hey go make a cool thing in the world that we built and we made a ton, you know, we're getting a bunch of money off of like, 
go yeah. do something with it. Like that's, that's, that's that, that itself cool. is fucking cool. What I really come back to is like, I feel like we just don't, we didn't. So this transmedia approach would become the default then uh, in the years right. and the decades since, you know, it's the default for what Marvel does where it wants to dominate literally every single platform of entertainment with their characters and their properties. And in some cases, this is successful. I feel like a lot of people like Star Wars Visions, which was the series of animatrix for Star Wars, where it's a series of anime shorts set in the universe of Star Wars from very acclaimed like writers and directors and artists in anime. Um, but what that doesn't have is this really personal touch from the Wachowskis, where they're... It, the skill that they have in the filmmaking and the singularity of their vision is what binds all these things together. You know, I've been thinking for a while that perhaps I like Star Wars more as like a tabletop game setting than I do as a coherent narrative or, or sort of space for narrative to occur, like authored narrative um, as opposed to improvised narrative. Um, and I feel like Star Wars Visions was a really good example of like a Star Wars as D&D setting, more or less, like tabletop setting, where it's like, here's a bunch of people doing their little D&D campaigns and different planets they made up in the huge universe of Star Wars. And Marvel, though, is like, it's the absolute nadir of the complete corporate version of what the Wachowskis have done. all command and control creation. Yeah, yeah. Mm, where yeah. it comes from focus testing and it comes from mandates on what IPs are successful and what plot points test well, rather than really just swinging for the fucking, like, stars there in a once-in-a-lifetime shot. And in the MCU's uh, instance, like, uh, repeatedly not crediting the comics that they are largely cribbing storylines from like look, look, the most recent hawkeye, hawkeye yeah. you know disney plus show is a, a, a go, go like the intro credits that become the outro credits to that show is just is just taking the art from that matt fraction uh the illustrator is 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 uh losing uh, i'm slipping yeah. on their name but like t- basically takes their work applies it and yeah. only through like shame you know, credits them, but in no way financially compensate them, which is a, a trend, you know, well across like all yeah. of the, the MCU. The oh, basic David premise. Aja. Yeah, David Aja, David Aja. The basic premise of WandaVision comes from Tom King. And like he, he most likely didn't see much financial compensation from that. You know, the report that most of these really legendary writers and artists give if they do talk to press at all. So they got like maybe a hundred thousand dollars in a handshake, which is like nothing, I mean, nothing say, compared. That Mar- Marvel like has a history of doing this long before even the MCU as well. Yeah, like, yeah. like it's just that the MCU exaggerates it to such a degree because of the amount of money. Yeah. The uh, amount involved. of money involved, you know, it really ground my gears when, People would talk about Jack Kirby in re- relationship to that Eternals movie because it's like, well, the ghost of Jack Kirby is just like a fucking helicopter in his grave right now. He's so yeah, pissed. But Jack Kirby's art is in a, at least briefly in a Thor movie, like, but it's not actually in an, in, in the Eternals film at all. Oh my god! Right, and in a lot of ways, was one of the first people to add, like get utterly screwed <clears throat> by the comics industry. Uh, like, yeah. so yeah, I, I think. And I think that's that's the the other difference is that for this moment you have the Wachowskis being given a few blank checks mm-hmm. and being both like invested enough in their work as creators, but also invested in other people's work enough as like fellow artists that they 
authorize all this like weird and interesting shit and some of it pays off some of it doesn't but like it's all coming from this place that yes like you know to your point Gita now it's like well there would be a director of IP appointed to oversee mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. and like it would be uh, <clears throat> what is it the like there would be brand compliance guidelines there's uh, like matriculated there's have happened right yeah, it, at the end of matriculation the sentinel alarm goes up and they pull their own jacks out of their heads a thing that cannot happen by the canon of the fucking matrix yeah, but it yeah. for this it doesn't fucking matter it's fine it's fine they're telling a story it doesn't matter <laughs> like yeah like it, they're, it, it they're, they're, the, there's a bit in the end of world record where like the world pauses and then five agents appear behind the guy and then they disappear and those people are back to being normal a thing we never see happen is agents go back to the per- people that they were until they die uh but like it's fine it doesn't matter that there's tiny like the world the inconsistencies here make for interesting space where mm-hmm. in the marvel thing there can be no inconsistencies because there's like the fucking citizens of the world like yeah. looking for them <clears throat> and that sort of bullshit kind of you know viewpoint Maybe. on like storytelling <laughs> The Matrix oh. Resurrections comes into that world, and, and that's yeah. part of what makes it fascinating yeah. about like how that movie will be taken, will respond to that sort of like it's just it's a the Matrix would have gone through that as well had that stuff <laughs> yeah. existed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's especially I completely forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, I'm just really especially especially interested with the Matrix Resurrections because it is the what we have seen of it so far from trailers acknowledges that. We are going back, as Jonathan Goff says, we're going back to where it all began, the Matrix. And like this in combination with something, I don't know, like Homestack, like so a lot of the stuff that would come in the sort of post-internet world where forms of storytelling could change and people were experimenting with telling stories on multiple platforms simultaneously um, is like this is the beginning of what would become the dominant form of like media storytelling of all time. But what what makes the Matrix different? Why did the Matrix start all of this? Like, we're here going back to the source. We can see why. It's because of the Wachowskis. It's because they are so, they have such a fucking interesting vision. It's the ideas, the philosophies that they implant in these stories that make them enduring. And not that they cohere to a 100% consistent brand vision. You yeah. know, it's really cool when these things line up perfectly. It's like really cool. Like the least interesting things about the Animatrix are the ways that it ties into the ensuing movies that would come out after it. The most interest, the ones that will stay with me the longest now as an adult, I mean, I was probably, probably beyond, probably world record. And really, I will never forget the second Renaissance parts one and two for the rest of my fucking life. I'll never, that was. Even if you try. Even (laughs) if I try, I'll be thinking about that forever. But it Mm. is like ideologically challenging. And the art itself is also challenging. The thing that brings all these pieces together as narrative and cohesive works that work as a sort of uh, a a cycle, um, all the movies, all the comics, et cetera, et cetera, is that they are pushing the forms that they are being presented in as well. Like all these pieces of animation strive to do new things in animation. And that is what makes the matrix E. And that's the, like, and that's the moment we're not going to get back in all likelihood. Like everything now, it like, I think it's going to be very hard at least in this current uh, framework for us to see people get written the kind of creative checks that the Bukowskis were. Um, And I think now it's much more like there's uh, doubtless at some point there will be a a run on like 
you know, new viable IPs, but I don't think people are going to be as eager to associate the creators as part of the ongoing life of an IP as uh, Warner was with the Wachowskis in the early 2000s. Unless Maybe in part because unless you're Christopher that- Nolan. God, Christopher Nolan. Who also, does, who also does it under Warner Brothers. I mean, yeah. like they exist. They're just they're rare. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. It is very, very difficult to. I mean, I feel like we're, we're approaching the place in mod, mod, mainstream and modern cinema where the term auteur does not really have any meaning or like utility for discussion of what goes on. Especially the bigger these films get, like you just can see with your own eyes how many hands are in that pot when you watch that yeah. watch these movies, but. There are still people who are making films that feels like they come from a sole author. Like Chris Nolan, for better or for worse, is one of those guys. For yeah, sure. I dislike lots of his films, yeah. but I will watch every one that he makes. This is like I, I know that I'm. This came from your brain, yeah. And for whatever reason, you have a brand that like puts butts in seats, yep. and they just let you make the movie you want to make. And <laughs> I have a reaction to it. Yeah. It's like increasingly that is like the thing I want out of like in you know just to feel is, something. I mean, when everything is so finely tuned, like to, to go into a theater to have to, to have an experience where you react to whether you hate, even if you hate it, like I hated Tenet. I think yeah. it fucking sucks. But like I enjoy hating now. It. Oh, my God. I love Tenet. <laughs> I'm going to actually well, just but, but I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it, too. Like that's yeah. we're sort of like on uh, on the same page regardless yeah. of where are I felt on like what it was doing. Yes, because like I, I, I love his movies are big swings and it's like, yeah. OK, I mean, yeah. it didn't connect with me at all. Uh, but, uh, like that's, fu- that's fine. Like, I like the fact that I see, I see the swing and I think yeah. that's what we're all getting at. It's yeah. like, you rarely see the people being allowed to take the swing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate. I think the, that's because we have too much, we have too much data, yeah, right? Like conversation I, so it's like the, that David and I keep having is like, we would rather watch a bad movie that tries than yes, a movie that's yeah. like competent, but it's just kind of doing the same thing. Everything else that I would. I'm so excited to watch The Last Duel, finally, because of Ben Affleck's facial hair and the performance that he gives <laughs> that I've taken to calling Ben Affleck's Boston guy origins is what it oh. feels like. You know, like I, I, I want to see the swing. Yes, I want to see Ben Affleck give this acting thing a shot. You know, I, I, I wish I had the uh, time these days where I could just wait for that and House of Gucci to be out together. Like Ridley Scott out here yeah. putting out two movies in one year. Like what, a, what an incredible human. Um, Go to and like bed, reading about House man. of Gucci and where it's yeah. just like, well, these actors, they're not in the same movie. Um, feels like people were given different notes on like what movie they were in. It's like that is I want to see that yeah. movie so badly Absolutely. now. I've heard Gaga is amazing. I've heard that Jared Leto, no one can tell me why they didn't just cast an old man instead of making Jared Leto look like that. But okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like, again, like with something, people are like, oh, Ridley Scott hasn't made a, a good movie in like however many years. And it's like, well, maybe he hasn't made good movies, but he's made, made movies interesting with, ones. He's made movies yeah. with more ideas than the average filmmaker, I even would his, say. E- even his Alien sequels are like swinging in different yeah. directions. Alien like, Covenant the one- is so fucking wild. It's so and, wild. And the, and, the, and the parts where he chooses to, to buck and like be conventional are the worst parts of the movies. Absolutely. Like, no, I want these, I want these robots to think about fucking each other. And yeah. like, could we do that for an hour and a half? Can we just instead? get this, this man playing the flute and crying? Like, we yes. just do yeah. more of that. Yes, those <laughs> you know? movies are... Fuck, you know, this is a good filmography. 
It, it is. really is. It, it is. is. He's a lot to be proud of. And it's all over the map, and I love yes, it. Yes. Like, it makes me so happy. Like, I, I want to see more artists following their passion in that specific way. And I just feel like we're looking down the barrel of a media landscape where that just doesn't happen anymore. And when I look well, at I think the, the, Matrix, the glee with yeah. which the struggles of uh, the last duel was gleated in some parts of the discourse was really like telling to me as well, where like it, like there's almost a thirst to see old school filmmakers and films that are different fail. Um, because you know, eighty-year-old man really is, is going to be saying, you know, millennials didn't see it because their phone. It's like that guy needs a nap. Don't worry about it. He's just saying. Well, yeah, I was like you know? that coming out, and then House of Gucci immediately making like a ton of money in like a COVID environment was just like man, you like just tune him out. Who cares? Just let him make his cool ass movies, and like don't listen to his old man quotes. Also. The Hollywood reporters, stop asking what you think of Marvel movies challenge. Like, no. Oh, actually, I saw the talk- interview on that, and he was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about Marvel movies. I'm going to talk my shit. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. Although I do, I do think I do think Stellan's uh, Skarsgård did give the definitive answer about like where that yes. entire discourse uh, exists. Yes, yeah, uh, yes. just nailed it, and uh, like people should look it up because like, I think again, this is the entire people are being divided into camps and set against each other to like service the interests of a very corporate uh, like boardroom approach to creating art mm-hmm. and intentionally squeezing out avenues for other types of other uh, types of work in this, in, in, in these forms to actually get an audience, right? The argument is always, well, you can get anything in, in this era yeah, but not everything will be discoverable in this era. In fact, much of it will be sort of deeply hidden in a way it has not been before. Well, you look at what has been so exciting for me in looking back at these films in particular, though, is like, here's an example of like outsider art with an insider budget. You know, yes. it does and can work. It, it, this, in this case, it worked way too fucking well. And the resultant pieces of media that come off from it and are influenced by it, this revolutionized filmmaking. This completely changed the industry. Um, I think someone I follow on Twitter said that the car chase scene, that 14-minute set piece from Matrix Reloaded, that is a high bar of acting filmmaking that Hollywood has been trying to replicate ever since that happened. And very, very, very few films have even come close. Like the Speaking of Tenet, the Christopher Nolan Tenet car chase scene comes really close to getting maybe like almost as good as it. It's playing in the ballpark it's, for sure. Yeah, it's in the ballpark, but it's it's not it's not the same. It doesn't match the same feat of building your own highway and <laughs> getting 300 cars of GM to destroy. You know, it's not the same. And why did it happen in this way? It's because these filmmakers, these artists had a particular vision and they got the money to execute it. And that's it. I think we will leave it there. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of our conversations about the Matrix series, including our reactions to uh, that car chase, which, upon reflection, was maybe the appropriate length for what they were doing. Uh, <laughs> I maybe should not have shit-talked the car chase in the past. <laughs> I felt like uh, I, 
We love. We've always loved the car chase. <laughs> Uh, anyway, if you want to hear that and uh, including our reactions to the fast approaching Matrix Resurrection, sign up for Waypoint Plus at waypointplus.com. Uh, I think we're all planning on seeing the Matrix Resurrections in some form over the holiday break. And when we reconvene in the new year, it's definitely one of the first things uh, we want to talk about. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more no, at waypoint.zone. Wait, yes, it is. Sorry, we're in the other feed. I forgot for a second what feed we were in. I'm sorry. Damn. I'm sorry. Kyle just glitched. Kyle just glitched. <laughs> Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. I should machine. have just had Deja Vu. Zone slash B-O-E-N. <laughs> we'll talk to you again uh, on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.